One of my favorite parts about doing this show is finding out what the players like to do when they're not playing hockey or beating people up. Today's guest is not only an intellectual, he's very artistic. Today's guest is the Renaissance man, Daniel Lacroix. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Hunter goes right to King Flaxman. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles. I am your host, as always, Joe Lazito. Hope everyone is doing well. I know it's a real quiet time in the world right now, so I figured what better time to bring you episode 17 because there's nothing to watch on TV. There's absolutely nothing going on in the world. Why not regale you in some hockey stories? And uh, that's why I'm here. Uh, first things first, as always, I'd like to promote my friend Joe Marisic. Joe is the artistic genius behind my logo for the podcast. Joe is a hell of a guy, and obviously if you've seen my logo or if you're familiar with some of his work, if you're an Islanders fan or a Mets fan or a Jets fan and you're on social media, I'm sure you've seen some of it. So uh, Joe is, like I said, an artistic genius and a hell of a guy. If you'd like to chat with Joe about uh, having him do some work for you, you can hit him up on Twitter at GraphicsJoker, G-R-A-F-I-X-J-O-K-E-R, or you can go to LoudEgg.com. Once again, that's my buddy Joe Marisich, great guy, insanely talented. Hit him up. Also, want to promote a couple of podcasts. Uh, besides my own, if you like this show, I'm sure you'll like the, the shows I'm about to promote. Uh, Fourth Line Voice, now a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Um, the uh, originator, the old school, the OG, whatever you want to say. Um, the guy who probably, I don't know if he started this genre, but uh, I don't want to say he perfected it. I don't want to pump his tires or anything, but... Uh, but uh, Darren, uh, he's uh, always a great listen. He's putting out two episodes a week to uh, catch up, being that he's new on the network. There's a classic episode from his uh, old website and a new episode. And um, I think his latest episode of the classic variety was Sean McMorrow. And I think the latest episode was with Bobby Longgrass, the host of the Bucket Drop podcast, uh, Bobby's a little younger than Darren and I. 
and um, he they discussed I believe the oh I think it was on Bobby's show they did the top 10 Montreal Canadian enforcers on this show I think uh, Bobby's got a pretty interesting story that he told Darren and uh, I haven't really heard him talk about it too much he played some games in the Federal League so um, it's a pretty good listen um, I think uh, he rates Dano Chara a little too high, though, on his all-time list, but that's neither here nor there. But uh, check out Bobby's bo- uh, Bobby's podcast, Bucket Drop. And like I said, Bobby was a guest on Fourth Line Voice, part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Also, Five for Fighting podcast, Alec's show. Alec is the uh, emperor of the... Uh, is it... Uh, fuck what is it best enforcer group i jesus i'm on it every day i can't remember it's on facebook it's uh it's probably the number one enforcer group on facebook i don't think it's called the best enforcer group anymore but you'll find it uh so alex in charge of that and uh he does a great job with his podcast and uh he posted something yesterday on twitter saying how he's got like four shows in the can so um I'm anxiously awaiting him to uh, post some of those shows. So, uh, Fourth Line Voice, Five for Fighting, uh, Bucket Drop, definitely check out those shows. Um, Other than that, so, as I said, there's nothing going on in the world. What is there to talk about? Well, I guess over the last week or so, the NHL has announced that they're going to have uh, playoffs um, probably... Sounds like maybe a month, a month, month and a half, maybe, till they'll get started. Uh, the Islanders have drawn the Florida Panthers. Florida's a good team. I mean, here's the thing, guys and ladies. Um, it's like the start of a new season. So all the stuff that happened already, you have no idea um, how that's going to translate over because these guys have been sitting at home. Who knows who's been training, who's been working out, who's been doing anything. It's almost as if the season is beginning again. So probably now more than ever, um, the team with the hot goalie is going to be uh, the team that does pretty well. Um, so the way they're doing it, the top four teams have to play around Robin to see who gets the number one seed through the number four seed. I think the Bruins are getting a little screwed in that one. But, uh, I mean, why did they just go through the whole season playing all these games? So um, I don't know. I think the Bruins are getting worked on this one. But... Uh, I guess it's better to be in that group than in the second group, the group the Islanders are in, uh, the elimination group. So um, I don't really have much of a preview here. All I will say is that um, I think the Islanders have enough talent where they can beat anybody. I mean, obviously beating uh, Boston or Washington is going to be a little more difficult than, say, beating Florida or uh, Carolina. And by the way, Jesus, with Carolina... Now, I have ties with Carolina because Dean Chenault is a, a good friend of mine, and he's an assistant coach there. And Dean, uh, d- by the way, I want to thank Dean if he's listening to this episode. Dean has helped me out immensely with a few aspects of this show. He's a terrific individual, and, um, you know, I love the guy. And, you know, I can't say enough. Dean has helped me out with uh, getting a few guests on the show. And, um, you know, like I said, I've known Dean forever. I love the guy. But uh, he is an assistant coach with Carolina. I'd like to think he's the brains of the coaching staff, nothing against Rod Brindamore. But uh, Dean's pretty much as smart as a hockey person as you're going to find. But uh, I heard Carolina was really whining about uh, the Rangers making the playoffs. And um, 
you know, listen, I don't want the Rangers in the playoffs either, but it's weird hearing a professional organization whine about that stuff. But, uh, you know, hey, when the playoffs open, I'll definitely be rooting for Carolina. I don't root for them often, but uh, I will definitely be rooting for them, and I hope they uh, hope they take out the Rangers. But, but as I was saying, playing Carolina, although the Islanders don't really do that great against Carolina, so I shouldn't really say it would be easier, but gun to my head, I'd rather play a series against Carolina than uh, Boston or Washington, at least to start. Then if you get to the point, you win around two rounds and you end up playing Boston or something like that, then all bets are off because you've obviously done pretty well and you're on a roll. Um, but my prediction for the finals, uh, I'm going Boston and St. Louis again. Um, and again, I've watched almost no Western Conference action this season. Uh, I'll probably watch a little bit of the playoffs, probably Winnipeg. Uh, but I've watched very little. And I, I've also, listened. I've watched very little Eastern Conference action. I watch the Islanders, and that's pretty much it. But um, so, but Boston and St. Louis, I still think they play the right way. Uh, that would be my, uh, my prediction. Although I am hoping that the Islanders end up playing Winnipeg. And um, you might be asking yourself why Winnipeg, and that's because Kevin Sheveldauf is the GM. Um, I am loyal to Chevy. He's a great guy, and uh, I think he's the best GM out there. So, you know, people are going to say Lou Lamarillo. Obviously, Lou has the Stanley Cups and everything, uh, and there's no arguing. You can't argue against Lou. I love Lou. Um, I know Chevy on a personal level, so uh, I'm loyal to him, and um, I think, you know, I think he is, if you want to say Lou is the best that's fine i accept that let's say chevy's the next great gm but i think chevy's the best in the business right now and uh wherever he goes will be my second favorite team unless of course he ends up with the rangers which would be cool to have him local but definitely not cool because i don't want him to win a cup with the rangers so uh if he's going to win a cup i'd love for him to win a cup with winnipeg who has not won a championship i think since the avco cup but uh, so here's hoping for Islanders Winnipeg Stanley Cup final uh, probably won't happen, but it won't stop me from for rooting for that. Mm, let me see anything else. Um, so this episode, episode 17, is uh, is my uh, discussion with Danny Lacroix. Um, Danny, like I said, is mostly known as uh, a Ranger. Um, he spent a lot of time in the Rangers organization, but he actually played. Uh, more games with the Bruins and the Flyers, probably most known for being the center on the Dan line. It's a pretty good line for uh, people like us, centering uh, Dan Kordick and Scott Daniels, two tough boys. So um, we discussed that. Danny is, uh, is a really, really articulate man. Like I said in the intro, he's very smart. Um, he won, uh, won Scholastic Player of the Year one year. Uh, he apparently towards the end of the interview, he says he doesn't do too much, um, anymore of the art, um, too much, too many drawings or anything. He does a Christmas card, which he's done forever. Uh, doesn't do too much of it, but Danny is, uh, he's one of those guys. It seems like that he's, he's gifted in a lot of areas. So, uh, he loves photography. He loves to draw, um, very smart guy and, and a real personable guy. Um, Danny was coaching, Tampa at the time of my uh, my incident and uh, I remember when uh, when I first saw him he couldn't believe what happened and uh, you know Dan's uh, Dan's very supportive 
And uh, like I said, he's just a great guy. So uh, I'm happy he he was with the Islander organization as a player for one year. He only played the one game here uh, on the island against New Jersey, but he spent the year uh, in the American League with Chicago, team that won the Turner Cup. So he is eligible to be on the show. So without further ado, I would like to present episode 17, Coliseum Chronicles. The Penalty Box presents Daniel Lacroix. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. Today, it is, uh, it's a real pleasure for me to have someone on that I have been friends with for a very long time, although he is mostly associated with the enemy. Uh, he is a fantastic guy and a true renaissance man. Uh, it's my pleasure to welcome Dan Lacroix to the show. How are you doing today, Dan? Very good. How are you, Joe? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for doing this. I, I'm very much looking forward to this because uh, uh, you may not, oh, you might think so, but uh, I think you're one of the more interesting guys uh, that I've met through hockey uh, because you, you're able to do so many different things, which we're gonna we're gonna dive into. Uh, my first question for everybody is: um, if I was to go back in time and I saw a young Dan Lacroix on the pond, uh, who was your favorite player? Who would who was Dan Lacroix as a kid when he was out there playing with his friends? Well, growing up, like I grew up between Ottawa and Montreal in a little uh, French-speaking town in Ontario called Oxbury, and uh, like being in Oxbury, everybody was a Montreal Canadiens fan. But I had two older brothers, and uh, so so, it, and my brothers liked the Canadiens, but also liked the Flyers and the Bruins. So I was influenced by all three teams. But M- Montreal was my team, and Gila Fleur was my idol. Uh, I also idolized uh, and loved the way Bobby Clark played. Uh, I wore number 16 uh, in my in my youth, uh, all the way to midget. So uh, 16 was a good number for me. And but Gila Fleur was my idol. Yeah, he seems to be a lot of guys' idol. I know uh, Darren Kimball. Uh, he loves Gila Fleur, and there's a lot of guys uh, that uh, that loves Gee. Even you know guys that play physical, it doesn't matter. He, I think he's uh, pretty much an icon. You know, I mean, uh, so that's no. It's like you know people down here that you know maybe uh, you know idolize a Mike Bossy or something like that. So, yep. um, so the first documented team that I I have for you, and I uh, I messaged you yesterday because I couldn't figure out how to say this. Is it the uh, Hutawai Frontaliers? Yeah, that's that's a tough name for uh, for a hockey team. <laughs> Uh, it was uh, it was uh, it's the uh, frontalier frontalier de l'Outaouais, and and really what that means is uh, that was the first first midget Triple A team in, in in the Ottawa region Gatineau. Uh, it used to be Hall, and uh, and they called them the frontalier because we're in the front frontier, uh, you know, the border between Ottawa and Montreal and, and Quebec and Ontario. So. Um, that was the first edition team, and uh, I, I was part of the inaugural season. But it wasn't a great season for me since uh, I was uh, at, at a young age. I, I left home and I was living uh, in an apartment with my girlfriend in, in high school. And uh, for some for some reason, my coach, uh, you know, took, took exception to the amount of penalties I was taking and and trying to make an example out of me. I, I, I kind of needed direction at the time and. Uh, instead of getting it, he sent me back to the double A team. So I, 
you know, it, it was a setback in my in, in my early career, but uh, but that yeah, that was my step in, in midget AAA. But I, I going back to AA, I ended up playing more and really developing into a, a pretty good junior player. Yeah, and, and uh, is that where you caught the attention of uh, Granby Bison's, where they drafted you 39th overall in the Quebec League draft? Yeah, I guess. Uh, they, they had seen me the year before. Like back then, you can only get drafted in the three first rounds uh, if you're 16 year old in junior. So I didn't make the cut as a as a in my first season, uh, first year of eligibility. And uh, you know, the, the, the normal progression for me would have been to to come in and, and be a top a top round prospect, a first rounder, and stuff. And and like I said, my year didn't really go as planned. And I ended up getting drafted in the fourth round to Granby. Got on a uh, Voyageur bus, which is the equivalent of Greyhound bus, and uh, showed up at training camp and and made the team. It, you make all these French names sound so elegant. I, I butcher them, but I'm <laughs> I'm listening to you say all these French. It's just so smooth the way you say it, and, and I just uh, I butcher them. But uh, so the, your first year in Granby. So I'm. The research I've done, it leads me to believe that you're very much responsible for the success that Pierre Turgeon has had in his career. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> uh, uh, funny enough, Pierre sat beside me in the dressing room. I sat beside him in the dressing room, I should say. And, uh, you know, just a, just a young rookie. I came, I came in. I, like I said, I, I was living with my girlfriend at the time. I, I left. I left. I got on a bus. And I had to make the team because if I didn't make it, I had nowhere to go. Like I had signed up for a college uh, to study art in Montreal, but I really didn't have a plan, no money. So I got on, I got on a bus with my uh, with one bag for clothes and one uh, bag for uh, gear. And the next day, I had two uh, I had a, two scrimmages, two fights. I fought an overage guy that we became real good friends and and kind of clang my way out uh, to, to earn a spot we had a real good team we're first in the uh in canada that year and uh we we ended up having a really good team i made the team and got drafted so i uh when i was looking at the guys who you fought uh the one name that stood out to me is someone that um that i'm a big fan of um and he did get a few games in the nhl but he's mostly known as more of a minor league legend and that's mark labelle uh, I think you fought him twice that season. Is there any chance you remember anything about those fights? <laughs> None. Whatsoever. <laughs> it's too long, Joe. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to. Yeah, no. I, I, I remember briefly, but some some bouts against older players, I, I remember because, you know, I fought a lot of 19 year olds that year for for a rookie, mm-hmm. and I would sit in the dressing room and I remember my captain Marty, Martin Simard. Uh, you know, big guy that mm-hmm. played in the, in the American League and IHL for a long time and the NHL a bit, and and we we had another 19 or overage guy that 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 was pretty uh, a tough customer and and a big defenseman Mario Barb and and then I, I would hear these guys talk about no no you leave this guy to me you know I'm, mm-hmm. I'm this guy's running around a little bit and and I would just sit and not say a word well. Obviously, that, that that was always a good challenge for me to make a make a stamp and being accepted within uh, my team, and uh, so I ended up finding out of my weight class quite often and, and getting my ass whooped a little bit. But o- overall, I, I learned how to defend myself, and I remember mostly the some of the fights with the nineteen year olds and, and really tough guy. But that that Labelle was a really tough customer, and and I can't say that I remember any of it. 
Well, that was, you know, like you, you're saying, you're, you set up the story where you basically got on a bus and you had to make the team because you really didn't have a plan B. And you obviously uh, caught the eye of the Rangers uh, in the second round. So you played basically one year of major junior, and uh, you had a nice season that year, and they drafted you in the second round, 31st overall. So I guess my question is, and I know I know the way that uh, the league is now is way different than it was back then in terms of, uh, coverage that the draft gets and the meetings and all this other stuff. But um, when, when did, at any point that season, did you know that the Rangers were interested? Did you know if any other teams were interested? Um, did you have any sort of meetings or any inclination? Yeah, I, I, I start. I didn't know early. Like my, I had an agent, kind of an agent that that was looking out for me. And and uh, and before Christmas, at one point, he stopped. He would come and talk to the other players. Uh, Eric Desjardins was one of them. We were playing on the same team, same age. And, but he, st- he stopped communicating with me, and I'm like, well, I guess I don't have an agent anymore. And then another agent, a friend of mine, Stefan Quintal, was on yeah. our team. Uh, he said, well, why don't you go with Bob Perno, who's my agent? And I ended up uh, you know, talking to Bob. And then through Bob, uh, I, got a, I got three interviews, I believe. I, I, I believe Philadelphia. I know Edmonton. I had a, a meeting in, with Edmonton at a golf course, and then Richard Rose uh, was a scout for the New York Rangers. Great, great gentleman, and he, he interviewed me twice. So I, I knew, I knew the Islanders, the Rangers, Edmonton, and Philly were interested, uh, but Montreal, yeah, other team never contacted me. And and that year, you have to remember back then, the same thing. The the rule applied. I can only be drafted in the first three rounds. And I was rated in the fourth round, so really didn't expect to get drafted. I didn't invite my family. We the draft was in Detroit, and I went on a bus with, with my agent and all his clients and all their families. So we had Eve Racine, uh, Stefan Quintal, Stefan Mato, bunch of you know uh, guys that uh, Stefan Fizet. Like I think we might have had six, seven guys that were drafted. Everybody with their families, but I went by myself without without anyone because I didn't really think I'd get drafted right. and, and uh, certainly not in the second round and, and then uh, I heard my name and uh, I was the most surprised kid in the stands that day oh, that's tremendous and and I, I mean you rattled off a bunch of names uh, at a, a whole group you had to be I know I think Quintal was a first round pick uh, I don't know if Racine was but were you one of the first guys picked out of that group no, Racine was a first-round pick to Detroit, I right. believe. Uh, Stefan Matteau uh, went early to Chicago, second round. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm trying to remember. Fizet was early to Quebec, I believe. I can't remember. That's a long yeah, time. But, yeah. but but yeah, I was I was kind of in the middle of the of that mix, you mm-hmm. know. So it was a, it was a good group of guys. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a great day, man. I'm really happy for you. It must, it, I mean, that must have been amazing. So I'm happy that uh, you had such a great draft day. That's awesome. Uh, well, uh, let, let me tell you a little story about that. Like, I, I got drafted uh, by the Rangers. Uh, I was actually walking around on the, on the concourse with Luke Robitaille because I was a stick boy in Hull when he played Major Junior. So we knew each other, you know, and, and Luke was a 20-year-old rookie in the NHL mm-hmm. after his first season. That's in '87, and he just uh, '86, I believe, the draft, and and he just won Rookie of the Year the, the night before. So he came. We we met each other in the stands. He said, "Dan, you want to eat pizza? You want a slice?" I'm like, "Sure." So we go up to get Little Caesars, 
walking around and he, he's getting stopped every 10 feet by fans and people to congratulate him on the calder uh, we grab our slice as we're walking back that's when the rangers made, made their uh, call oh no kidding <laughs> <laughs> so i i went down and and got introduced they asked me if my family was there i said no my family's not there so i you want to call them so i said sure i called my mom nobody at the other no, <laughs> nobody at the other end i just leave a message hey mom by the way i'm just just got drafted in the nhl uh, by the rangers i'll talk to you soon bye-bye <laughs> that's that's great that's so great uh so you're basically you had one year in the, in the quebec league and now you find yourself at new york rangers training camp uh i'm sure they had some pretty big name guys there what was that like a, a young dan lacroix walking into a professional locker room well my uh my first nhl camp didn't really go well like i, I I showed up and and I went to my major junior camp before and and if, if my first year junior I had fought this one guy probably five times a rookie uh, same age he was a right winger I was a left winger at the time and we we got about four or five fights and uh, I made the team he didn't make the team but he came back the next year with a vengeance and he was ready and he wanted to make the team so I ended up fighting him three more times. Uh, in that training camp and uh, broke my hand in the last fight so I showed I was Ooh. taking a plane three days later to go to New York and I showed up with a cast so they weren't really happy about me I didn't I didn't get to, to skate and, and uh, try out for the team oh I didn't know that okay so I was going to ask you about some of the other young guys in camp like Rudy and Mark Janssen and Mark Tenorti but it didn't matter because you didn't actually suit up at all no, I, I I didn't suit up, but I you know I'll tell you what I remember from them. Uh, it was it was the rendezvous eighty seven or something like the Russian series. I yeah. remember mm -hmm. Alain Lemieux, Mario's Mario Lemieux's brother was there. Mm -hmm. uh, I watched a game with a bunch of rookies, a bunch of guys uh, in Armonk. We used to stay there, mm -hmm. and I just remember uh, Rudy Polchek, my first the first time I met him. Uh, Rudy was there, and and they had. They had uh, Michel Bergeron was the coach, and they had signed up this guy from Quebec, uh, Serge Robert. And I didn't know Serge, and you know Serge. Oh yeah. Not a lot of people knew about him, and and the prize prospect for the Rangers was Rudy. You know, mm -hmm. in his scouting report, they said uh, eats nails for dinner. <laughs> I remember reading that, uh, and Rudy was as tough as they as they come. But but Serge Robert. <laughs> He could keep up with Rudy because mm -hmm. he's, he's a very good technical fighter, and and uh, these guys must have fought three, four times, four or five times, and uh, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Every time they'd get back on, and and Robert would do better, and you know they were evenly even fights, but Rudy was really busting himself up before there was even a, 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 a exhibition games. And that didn't really sit well So with, with the brass. So they ended up putting those two. I remember Phyllis Pizzito coming over the board during a scrimmage and said, that's enough, you two. No more fighting. He screamed at them for them to stop. Uh, and then the next day, I think they put them together as roommates. <laughs> and that was the end of it. Uh, they never fought again. They put them as roommates. And uh, But that was my first training camp. I, I, I remember that. I remember Mark Tenorti being there. Uh, and 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 also the other guy that that really caught my eye was Jake Caulfield. He oh, was yeah. so big. Uh, I just I remember those guys as being so big. So that's that's a great story, Rudy and Serge. Obviously, <laughs> I love both those guys. So uh, so I love hearing that. 
So when your hand healed and you went back to Granby, uh, the season you had, I mean, this is power forward type stuff, 74 points. And how in the world do you get 466 penalty minutes and not even lead the league? You ended up being second behind someone named Stefan Plant who had 493, but this was a pretty amazing season for you. Well, it, it was a good season since the, the year before we had a lot of older 19-year-olds uh, drafted guys, so we, we, we were a young team then, so the next the next year I had a, a much bigger role, so I went from a fourth-line player to a, a steady second-line contributor and, and had a really good center by the name of Jesse Belanger who just showed up at camp and, and made the team without being drafted and he was a very underrated player and good two-way guy and I benefited from just going at the net that part of my game was really being at the net and playing an aggressive type but I'll tell you if I if I had any hands I would have scored 40 that year hmm. uh, I, I you know I would just go into hard areas and, and get pucks and battle for pucks and and uh, no but I, I, I had a good good season good coaching I, I was there three years with Ray Alpeman as a coach and he really taught me the way to play defensively early and then let me uh, you know flourish offensively and work on my skills and uh, one thing leads to another and, and you're, you're you know I'm popping rebounds left and right now 466 penalty minutes would lead me to believe that there had to be some pretty wild incidents is there any one that might stand out uh, from that season, I don't recall. Like I've got these three years a little bit blurred uh, yeah. in my memory. Like I'm, I'm. Uh, I just remember that year that it was more like uh, the, the year before. I was a quiet guy, didn't mm-hmm. really talk, and and just wanted to surprise people with. I didn't expect anything. Now I had a little bit more of a reputation. I was drafted, and uh, I kind of. You know, the referees, I played with a net, but I was a little bit out of control. I took way too many uh, stick penalties, and that, you know, that, that that stayed with me for about five, five years, five, six years, uh, where I, you know, I would get a lot of 10 minutes. Those numbers are inflated a little yeah. bit. I don't think I had a, I probably had the same amount of majors as the year before. Yeah. Uh, but I, I had a lot of 10 minutes. It was kind of a trend in, in the queue. They, they would just give out 10s, like, yeah. If there's seven minutes left and, and there's a little bit of a lead on one side and, and then, you know, the two teams would come and it'd it get a, a little bit scrappy, they'd give tens left and right. So that, that's inflated. So, uh, but I, you know, I, I, I recall some bouts, but I think my, the most mem- memorable ones were probably the, the next year as a 19-year-old. Yeah. So before we get to those, because there's a couple of names I want to throw at you. Um, you went to camp, your second training camp with the Rangers. Now, hopefully this year you went, you didn't have any hand injuries, and it was really your first time getting on the ice with them. Um, was there any, a lot of times a young guy like yourself coming in, uh, reputation as being a little scrappy and everything, you find yourself having fights in training camp or uh, in rookie games or anything. So from your, technically your first camp with the Rangers where you were able to play, um, what was that like going in? Especially because you had been there already, even though you couldn't play, so you kind of got a feel for how the camps go. Uh, how was that second camp for you? Well, uh, second camp was okay. Like I, I, I wasn't mature enough. Like I physically, I wasn't there. I wasn't close. I was probably, I probably got in there at 180 pounds, six two, mm-hmm. and 
I remember my rookie year. My uh, we had a rookie camp in Sault Ste. Marie, mm-hmm. and I I remember fighting Denny Vial. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Pete Fiorentino, Denny Vial. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember because not every not all the rookies. I don't think Rudy was there. Mm-hmm. I don't think all the young guys were there. Uh, I can't remember if Mark Jansen was there or if he went right to the main camp. But uh, I remember fighting Vial in, in training camp there. Um, I fought him against him again the next season, but then when I played at the, uh, uh, I went to the main camp in Three Rivers. Guy Lafleur was making a comeback, I believe, and uh, I don't think I got any, in any scraps when I was there. It was it was a pretty clean camp. I um, I, I remember the who was who was the uh, it was a veteran. There was I think it, I don't know I can't remember if it's here and then uh, GM of uh, of Vegas was was uh, George McPhee was was mm-hmm. there. And he was a left winger. I was a left winger, and I could tell in his eyes he's looking at me like, "Hey, kid, you ain't, you ain't coming here for, for my spot." <laughs> so I'm like, "No, no, I still got a couple of years of juniors." <laughs> so so uh, no, he was an uneventful uh, training camp. Well, you mentioned Guy Lafleur, uh, so that's your hero. Now you're in training camp with him. I mean, that had to be amazing. It was it was great to see him, you know, yeah. he, he, and he played pretty well. Like he, he came back after being away from, I think, close to four years, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I remember following his his, his regimen in the summer. Like they, they would have things in the papers about him doing boxing and, and working out, and and uh, and he was still skating quite well and scored some goals in in, in the uh, inner squads uh, that we played there, and uh, then they sent me back to my junior team. And when you went back to your junior team, the hands that you said you didn't have the season before, you must have found this year. Um, you know, and this is one thing I always try to say to people that try to diminish uh, guys who play physical like you. You obviously got a shit ton of ice time this year. You played 70 games, 94 points in in uh, the Quebec League, 45 goals. Penalty minutes dropped. You still had 320, which is still very formidable. You were third in the league that year, but... I mean, did everything click for you this season in terms of, of scoring and, and things like that? Your whole your whole entire game. Well, I, I found myself uh, pretty much with the same role on the second line and uh, uh, with uh, same line mates uh, for the most part. And uh, we just uh, the big difference was I was on the power play. Like I, I was in front of the net on the power play. I think I had over 15, 16 goals on the power play. So that that really just boosts your your total like I, I was more of a penalty killing guy mm-hmm. and next thing you know I'm, I'm in front of net and you know the puck just comes to you when you're when you're there but uh, I, I gained confidence and and not, that's not from my own admission but I, I, I talked I still I'm still good friends with a one of my junior teammates he, and he remembers vividly he talked to me about it last week he goes Dan when you came back you would come back from a, a one week or two weeks of training camp in the NHL and the way you shot the puck in, in the two weeks you were there, I could see a difference. So I became a better shooter. Uh, I got a few more goals from a little bit outside uh, the slot and and uh, had a pretty good pace as far as goal scoring uh, was concerned. And although you did score the 94 points, you did manage to put up 320 pims. And uh, there's a couple of names on your fight card that year. Uh, first guy you fought he's, he's played uh, several games in the nhl and 
I'm sure he was a lot bigger than you back then, and that's uh, Francois Leroux, who was with uh, St. John at the time. Do you remember that fight? <laughs> Frankie, yeah, of course I remember. I, I still can't. I remember him lining up, and I'm like, how am I going to get to that guy's face? Like, he was, his arms were, like, extended in front of him. Like, he was sparing in front of me, shadowing, and I'm, I'm looking at him like, oh, my God, it, it looks like he's, like, 10 feet over there. There's no way I can get, I, I don't think I threw a punch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I couldn't get close to him. I, I just remember him being a big, big kid. Uh, there was a guy who you did throw punches with. He's, he's a Vancouver legend, and of course he played some time here on the island. Uh, you had two fights with Gino Ojic in the playoffs. I, I've only seen one of them, and that one was pretty wild slugfest. And one thing I will say, as I went through all, all the footage I have of you, um, you didn't go down too often, and I guess that was maybe a good thing or a bad thing, uh, but Gino hit you with some shots in this one that I think would have put a lot of guys down. Not only did you not go down, you kind of mounted an offense of your own, and I think that was the first fight. Uh, do you remember those two fights with Gino? I don't think there was two. I, I think probably if, if there's two on a card, it's probably that you know we got we got matching uh, okay. kicked out or something. But okay, there was only one, and I that, that's probably the most memorable one here for for a few reasons. Like uh, this was a playoff matchup against against a team Laval that was a, a way better team, but we were underdogs but still had a pretty decent team and uh and, and i note that gino was was terrorizing our, our our players and and my i remember my coach saying and we had the same coach he goes dan we're gonna play these guys uh and 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 Ojek is just and you know terrorizing our guys and my coach used to tell me like i don't want you to fight these guys like mm -hmm. you gotta play you're you're a big part of our team you gotta be scoring goals and so don't don't fight guys that play free shift a, a period and, and and you know we lose you for 15 minutes or something. So so I would stay away and refuse and and then he goes Dan I I'm gonna have to send in uh, one guy a defenseman on our team that was six four 220 pounds much bigger than me he goes I'm gonna send him but if he gets his ass kicked you're gonna have to <laughs> I'm, you're gonna have to go I'm like well you just tell me coach like I'm I'm okay to go Gino I'm. You know, if that's going to help our team, yeah. uh, not something that you look forward to, but you know, so something that you, comes with the territory. Mm -hmm. And uh, and sure enough, in the first period, uh, Gino and, and my buddy Eric go at it. Gino destroys them, and I'm sitting on the bench now, more nervous than ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, if you just let me fight in the first game, and you know, I would have taken it without nobody telling me anything. I I, I would have dealt with that, but. Instead, it ended up dragging along, and, and, and of course, that's not a good uh, it's not a good situation to be in. But but Gino Gino was so uh, ferocious, like he was he was tough, a lot of energy. We didn't know much about him. Uh, the fact that I didn't go down was partly because I'm, I was decent technically. To uh, I always felt I could get into fights and and hold my own defensively, and I didn't have to. I wasn't a a slugger that I needed to kill a guy. I just wanted to get you know comfortable and set up in my in, in my fight and and not get my ass whooped. So <laughs> I would I would always come in with good technically and I I you know I thought I could I handle myself well. And another thing I did and I learned pretty quick is like I, I was fighting you know guys that were 20 30 pounds uh, out of my weight class and and one way for me to 
survive those fights would always to, to like if you if you watch that I, I would I would slide and, and kind of take him towards the board mm-hmm. I always like to, to have fights where I, I was closer to the board so I, I could use the boards and the glass as leverage in situations when when guys were stronger than me so um, the reason I didn't go down on that not because he didn't punch me hard enough <laughs> but I think one time he did punch me and, and my skates uh, lifted uh, from the ice but I just bounced off the glass and came back and and I, I remember not being hurt at all out of that fight and that was probably the longest uh, junior fight I had now that was definitely one to watch if people want to look for that on YouTube I'm sure it's on there it's definitely uh, definitely a, a fun fight to watch especially for us since we weren't in it but um, you're someone who's always taken pride in, in outside things from from hockey like we'll, we'll touch on your your art later and your photography but this season, you were acknowledged as a QMJHL Scholastic Player of the Year, and I know that uh, academics is always something that's always been very important to you. So, did and not that you did it for the award, but was it nice to be acknowledged? Yeah, it was nice. It was really nice. I didn't, I didn't expect it. Uh, tell you the truth, because of the uh, we got a lot of smart players in the league, and and I was kind of a marginal guy in a way that I studied art and photography and, and did, you know, I was to the beat of my own drum kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I wasn't going to school just to get a diploma. I was going to school and and uh, and studying things that really interest me and I wanted to grow and, and learn and, and have more knowledge and have fun while I was doing it. And that was, you know, a lot of, a lot of unpopular uh, subjects with uh academics back then like more, you would get more guys that would study science and, and really bright bright kids and that was my that was in uh, my cup of tea so mm-hmm. um, but I but I did do well I and, and one of the things is after my first year a uh, junior um, I, I remember being in a fight my first year where I, I had an infection in my knuckle in my left hand um, I ended up being hospitalized for two weeks. With, uh, yeah, I almost lost my hand uh, after wow. punching a guy in the, in the tooth and, and got it infected. So I didn't. What I didn't do is at the college, local college, I didn't quit my classes. So so my marks were terrible, and uh, I, I was I didn't go to school for a month. And the queue were going to send me out. Of, of school because my marks were so bad so I needed to meet in front of a, uh, a group and, and with the, with all the I don't have the English words actually so I'm sorry about that Joe but that's okay I, I needed I, I needed to meet with the, with the league and my my sports uh, consultant uh, with our team and and then I needed to sign something to say that I was going to be committed and I needed to pass all my class from that uh, session on. So, so I, I, my first year I wasn't very serious, and then my second and third year, junior, I was really committed to it, and I, I really enjoyed going to school and, and spending time away from the rink. Nice. And and that season after the playoffs were over, you did get, uh, I guess you got called up to Denver. I, it says that you played two games, uh, you had yep. an assist. Uh, so, even though you had been to a couple of camps, now you're actually seeing game action. Uh, how did and uh, although it was only two games, how did you find that adjustment? Well, it, it was a good step, you know. The the IHL was an older league. We played Salt Lake City in in the uh, in the playoffs, and I remember watching a couple of games and just the overall 
feeling of what pro hockey was about wasn't a good experience for me. Like, I got there, there was some good players. I believe Mike Richter and Leach, Brian Leach were, the, was, were there. Um, Simon Wielden, I remember a good centerman captain. Uh, but, but what I recall is that we had two first games on the road and we're down uh, 0-2 against Salt Lake City. And uh, and players, if if we won and extended the series, we weren't playing until uh, ten days later or something. So, oh, wow. guys, guys did not want to win games, you know. And 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 it was a simple uh, in math. It was, it was pretty simple. Like they needed to, if we did win, they they would have needed to pay to buy an, another month of rent. Right, and, right. And they didn't make enough money if even if we won the first round to. To cover that, to cover that, so it, it made no sense for them uh, to to win the series, and and it showed. So I I was so surprised by that that this was allowed to to happen at, at a pro level that players came in and weren't really engaged, and, and uh, it didn't make sense financially for them to to pursue and to, to play any longer. So we lost four straight to Salt Lake City. Wow, I never heard that before. That's uh, yep. that's pretty they've, interesting. They've changed. They've since uh, changed. I, I was on the executive committee in the American League, and a, a strong proponent of, of bringing uh, subsidizing uh, players' rent in playoffs, mm-hmm. so that you know it, it's not an incentive. They don't have an incentive to, to lose. Yeah, it should be that way. So I think that was that has been corrected since. Well, well, that's good to hear. Now. When you go to your third training camp with the Rangers, now did you have any more junior eligibility? Could you have gone back as an overager, or you were done? I could have. I, I, I guess I could have gone back, but it was never in the plan mm-hmm. for me to go back. Um, so I, I kind of knew I was. You know, they told me that they expected me to sign me as a first year. Uh, they signed me to deal my first training camp, and and. Um, you know, I knew I was going to play. I, I, I just didn't know. I knew the team was going to move from uh, Denver to it moved to Flint, Michigan. Yeah. And you know, just I just reported to camp at at a OK camp, and next thing I knew, I was in uh, I was in Flint. And you had a good season. You ended up playing sixty one games. You had twenty eight points, one hundred twenty eight penalty minutes. Now, you played with some pretty tough guys. Uh, this is your first year pro. Uh, guys that I see, guys like Danny Vial, Fiorentino, uh, Joe Patterson, I guess at that point was sort of a veteran. Uh, you had Rudy there. Uh, and a guy named uh, Jim Laddish, who uh, legend has it, had a, a, one of the best fights ever against Rudy uh, back in their days in the Western League. So you definitely had some help. Where did you fit in that pecking order? Well, I was, I was in, uh, you know, I was one of the three rookies. Me, me Fiorentino, and Danny Vial with... with uh... You know, would get our share of, of, of scraps, and 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 we played we played a hard game, all three of us, and and uh, obviously the western you'd see the western boys like uh, that knew each other. You, we'd play Link Gates and uh, Kalamazoo, and and some of the our other opponents that we didn't know nothing about. It was always good. I, I remember Rudy and and especially Jimmy Laddish was real good to me, and and a good influence, a good veteran, and. Uh, would kind of tell me, you know, I, I came in a little bit cocky, and 
and uh, not knowing. I like I remember going after Stu Grimson in Salt Lake City, and I jumped the bench. We played back to back nights, and and the night before I I jumped Ken Sabarin because okay. he cross checked me in front of him in front of his net and he went to change and I jumped the bench and guys after after the game they're like Lacroix you're, you're nuts you know we have to play these guys tomorrow I don't get and I'm, I'm telling them I don't give a crap they got uh, I think uh, Rick Award, Marty Simard Sabrin uh, and and Stu Grimson yeah. they had more more than enough and you know we, we had a tough team but I, it wasn't about the other guys it was just to me it was just I didn't care about the other guys. I want. I wanted to get back at this player who just crossed me behind the neck. I wasn't going to accept that. Right. Well, sure enough, the next day, uh, after warm up, guys are telling me, "Keep an eye on uh, big." I can't remember if he was 32 then, but keep an eye on him. I think right. he's looking at right. in, in, in uh, warm ups. I'm like, really? That guy? <laughs> that that big guy wants to fight me? So, <laughs> sure enough, he did want to fight me. So anyway, it was. Uh, uh, I, I had a good season with them. Like I, it was a good rookie season with good veterans, and and uh, it was a good way for me to learn the ropes. How did that fight go with Stu? Well, here's what I did. I, I I'm like, well, if if he's he's the one coming after me, I, I'm I'm gonna find a way to go after him. So uh, I back checking. I I back checked out of position, and I, I'm telling myself I'm just gonna run him, and and then I'll fight him <laughs> as as I. As I back check and hit him, or so I, I did that. I back check. I hit him so hard that I went flying. And by the time I I, I looked up, he sucked. He had his first punch uh, broke my nose. And all oh. I remember, I still I still have my gloves on. So I, and I've, I've got my face against the glass, and I you know I'm bleeding profusely, and and I, I can see the fans through a little bit the glass. I'm like I'm getting my ass kicked right now, so <laughs> I got to figure out how to drop the glove and not get killed. So I did. I turned. I, I did a little switcheroo. I, I got a couple uh, lefts in there enough to make it look good. Uh, then we got kicked out because there was less than five in the period, and uh, I came in and guys were I. I remember the guys coming in and going, "Way to go, Danny boy! Great fight, Danny! Oh, oh my God! Look at his face!" <laughs> and yeah, that 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 was my first uh, uh, broken nose. That was that was Stu that really did it to me. And uh, the, the guys thought I did pretty well, I guess, in the fight. But once they saw my my face, uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't win that one. Well, Stu's done that to a few guys, so uh, so you you're just one of many. It's not and it's, exactly you know. Uh, one fight I did have on video from that season, uh, you actually did very well against Stu's teammate Darren Banks. Uh, he's another guy that was on Salt yep. Lake. I don't know if you remember that fight at all. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I, I remember uh, Banks because I Rick Award was a was a, a defenseman, a tough defenseman that played in uh, mm-hmm. in Hall with Luke Robitaille Jr. And I was a stick boy with that team, and he, I really idolized him. I looked up to him. He was a good, a uh, good junior player. He played a, uh, a scrappy game, and and I remember one game. I he's coming down the middle, and I stood up on him. I was back checking, and we kind of ran into each other, but it looked like I ran him really, really hard. He stayed on the ice, so I. I ended up finding uh, Darren Banks that that game. I didn't know Banksy was, and uh, Banksy was had a few lbs on me. Yeah. <laughs> but but he didn't know I was a lefty, so I, I remember doing pretty well. So. 
that was one thing I wanted to ask you. It seemed like throughout your career, obviously when you first when you first turned pro, uh, people don't know a lot about you. But even as your career went on, it still seemed like you caught a lot of guys by surprise being a lefty. And I definitely think that was an advantage for you. Well, I, I often lined up as a righty. Like it, starting a lefty, like they, they say left, you know, oh, he's got an advantage. He's a lefty. But, you know, the only advantage is if the other fighter not used to fighting a lefty. But other than that it's right against left if, mm-hmm. if, if you're going if you're going toe to toe which I'm not I, I didn't have the the, the, the body weight to sustain toe to toe against most guys so I needed to get in a little bit clever and, and try to figure out my way and come in as a righty and, and perhaps uh, switch and, and find my openings and sometimes it meant taking a couple on, on the noggin uh, and timing myself before I could I could uh, switch and come and come back in a fight. Now, one of the things that um, that I wanted to ask you is, I know in junior, and I, I think when you first started pro, you were still on the wing. Um, the team now, uh, after the season in Flint, they, uh, the Rangers moved their affiliation to Binghamton, so now you're in the American League. At what point did did um, you become a center, and and uh, were you open to that, or or how did that go? It, it, it happened as a as a fluke. I think uh, right before playoffs, I could my my, my uh, progress in, in pro hockey was slow like I, I came in and, and I went back to uh, Bingham I came to Binghamton really kind of looking forward to the season I just scored maybe 12 goals in the IHL and mm-hmm. thought my my spot would you know would be there for me and and they'd be developing and all, all these things you hear about the American League well I didn't know but the Rangers and bingo they, they brought in uh, John Paddock and he brought in a lot of uh, older players. So we signed Russ Fitzpatrick, who was old, mm-hmm. over 29. We had Joe Patterson, and I'm talking about left wingers right now. Mm-hmm. So Joe Patterson was our, our left winger, over 29. Russ Fitzpatrick uh, was over 29. And they, they had a, a guy named Bobby Bodak, who was yeah. the exact same player as me, played you know played a fourth line role and. Uh, so we, we had an older team, and I found myself in the stands starting the season. Like, I, I, I couldn't get on the ice, and I was a little bit frustrated. And, but but I worked, I worked, I stayed in, I worked in practices, and by Christmas, then I, I got more ice time. And by playoffs, I was playing a, a pretty big role. And, and the, I think I believe we had an injury, and, and my coach asked me if I wanted to play uh, center, and I played with... Uh, Rob Zaminer mm-hmm. on the wing and uh, Mike Stevens um, and our line, our line caught no, I wouldn't say caught fire it was just a little brush fire it wasn't very <laughs> but we, we played well enough we played well enough and, and I learned the position I had not played since I was midget so it, it was a, a good switch for me because I, I didn't think I had the I wasn't heavy enough to be a, a power winger but I, at, at the center position I I was pretty dependable in my own end, and I, I, I felt very comfortable playing center. So when you were in the IHL, like you said, it was an older league, and I think there were teams had you know teams that had affiliations. They had some of their prospects there, but now coming to the American League, it's basically all prospects. Like you say, some some coaches would would uh, sign some older guys, but I, I'm looking at the roster of your first year in Binghamton, 1991. And you had guys like Peter Fiorentino, who I think is very underrated. I wish he would have got, uh, I think he played a game or two with the Rangers, but I think all the guy did was work hard his whole career. Um, 
guy like Eric Germain. But now you're on a team, and you, you guys have Danny Vial, yourself, Rudy Poshek, Ty Domi. Now, I, I think what people need to understand is it's natural to think that Binghamton's rival at the time was Capital District because the Islander Rangers. But the whole upstate New York American League thing, it was almost like a round robin of violence between you and CDI and Adirondack and Rochester and Utica. And, every, you know, you guys were tough. But every team had had a team like you guys. What were those games like? Yeah, the, these, uh, <laughs> if you ask guys that played on other teams, they would tell you that they didn't have a team like we did. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't mean, in, I don't necessarily mean the caliber of guys. I'm t- yeah, like obviously yeah. Capital District that year. I think Dean Ewan was hurt, and it seemed like maybe Sean Byron may have been their their most busy fighter. That a exactly. few guys like Dean Chenault and Shevel Dayoff on yeah. defense, but they didn't have the guys up front. So not necessarily in terms of guys that could match up with Rudy and Ty and yourself and Denny, but you had to play a physical game. That's right, yeah. and and it, that's the way that's the brand of hockey we played. And, and if you remember, like Binghamton's a, a small, a small uh, rink. Like we we had a very small neutral zone, and it was a tough place to play. But even better than that, we we were better on the road than we were at home, and. Uh, there was a few, I, I think probably our toughest opponents in the physical department were, was probably, uh, I would think Utica was, was uh, you know, pretty tough, a pretty tough team. They had, yeah. you know, Jamie Uscroft uh, was there and, and uh, uh, Perry Anderson. Who and, you fought three times that year, by the way. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I still, uh, I remember... Uh, a lot of times you got to remember. A lot of times these guys and and Rudy, I, I would get in, in a lot of scraps because guys didn't want to fight uh, via, uh, Rudy and and uh, Domi. Yeah. <laughs> so so you know it, it happened. It happened in the NHL and it happened. Uh, I, I still remember Mick Lakota one time in exhibition game. He had Joey Kosher behind me. I wasn't even in the conversation. And he just grabbed me and started throwing punches because you know <laughs> you know if if if. If uh, if it wasn't me, it was uh, Joey Papa in the back. We'd rather rather pick on that Lacroix guy. In the front. <laughs> well, I don't know if you've heard. There's a thing. Uh, if you ever heard a thing called the race for Chase, and that's what they would say uh, when you played St. Louis. Uh, the other yeah, yeah. tough guys would try to get Kelly Chase first, so they didn't have to fight <laughs> Tony Twist. So they called it the race for Chase. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, those games were pretty sick games. You know, Adirondack seems like they were a rival with everybody. I know. Like yeah. I've had discussions with people that immediately think that uh, Binghamton and, and Capital District, but I think Capital District at the time had a much more violent rivalry rivalry with Adirondack. But all those upstate New York teams, those games were were pretty pretty crazy games. Yeah, very very crazy. Like we, we had good bouts with uh, Adirondack too, and and I remember my first year in Bingo, uh, big big brawl with uh, Rochester with Steve Ludzig and mm-hmm. Malloy and. I can't remember the guy's names, but uh, Crawley, Frawley, Frawley, yeah, Dan Frawley. Yeah. So mm-hmm. th- you know, th- these teams were all a little bit not in the same weight class as us with with uh, Domi and Postcheck, obviously. And mm-hmm. but but they would, you know, they they would gear up for these games and and knew they they, they had a, they had the battle that they they wanted to beat the the Rangers. So one fight you had that I have to ask you about, strictly because he later became a line mate of yours, 
Uh, this season in uh, a game against Springfield, you fought the chief, Scott Daniels. And uh, I think he started out pretty quick. And a lot of your fights, it seems like guys guys start out quick. And it seems like you're kind of just waiting, you're, you know, biding your time. And then you go on the offense. Do you remember that fight with Chief? I, just, I remember how Chief uh, would fight more than anything. I, yeah. I remember, uh, you know, slightly uh, this fight because he wasn't my type of fighter. Like, yeah. he's, he's a guy that would start really, really quick. Not yeah. a lot of technique to it. And rapid punch early and... Uh, uh, he was good. Like Chief was a, it was a great, great teammate. And I knew, like when you look on paper, it would be a natural fight because we're pretty much the same size. And and uh, and he was a tough customer. I I, I remember him. I, if I can survive the first uh, 10, 15 seconds, I'll be okay. Yeah. No. Definitely. So as we go to the next season now, this is we're entering your fifth training camp with the Rangers. Now, obviously, the first few training camps you were you were going back to junior, but um, at any point, I mean, does it start to creep in when, when you're not, I mean, are you getting a legitimate chance to make the, the big team or do you ever feel like you're kind of typecast that you're going to just go and be an American league player? Uh, well, I was typecast for sure. And, 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 and the, the thing that was, that was tough uh, with me is that I, I got in, I was drafted by, uh, Phyllis Pizzito and his, his staff and then Neil Smith, uh, came in and, and hire all his you know his scouts mm-hmm. so so i was i was from the old regime and you know you know how it works like guys will push their own players and and now they've got new kids uh, coming up and and the, the scouts that are there are pushing their own guys so i ended up being i think i had my first exhibition game i was second round pick and i was i had my first exhibition game in my seventh nhl camp the wow. year in 93 the year they won the cup 93 94 mm-hmm. when Keenan, when Keenan came yeah I had a re- I had a real good camp that year but that's that's when I, I got my first exhibition game I ended up playing five six exhibition games that year that's unbelievable yeah that's crazy um, so this season in Binghamton again we talk about the uh, the upstate New York teams and, and as I was going through the footage um, I you did, yeah again these are sort of random fights but you had mentioned Utica earlier, and you had a fight with Dean Malcock, who was like a Utica mainstay he was on their blue line, <laughs> and it was a really, really good fight. I don't know if you remember that one. Well, I, I remember uh, Dino. Dean, I love Dino. Like yeah. I played with him in, in Chicago with yep. the Wolves, and uh, he became my best buddy, my roommate. Uh, and he just, he just, he would remind me how much he hated me when he played <laughs> against me. And, and sure, you know how that works. Yeah. Like, up on the same team and you become best friends so uh dino is a tough customer oh my goodness i i, I don't re- remember much about uh, that fight in mm-hmm. particular um but i remember seeing him in a, in a lot of other battles and mm-hmm. he's a big boy he played the game the right way and uh he's a tough customer and, and- one of the things now that I always uh, lament about the way the game is has let's say changed. Some people call it evolve. I don't necessarily do that, but um, I think when you when you get rid of the physical play and the physical players, you lose a lot of characters. And especially at the American League level, uh, I'm sure you ran into your share of characters. And one of those guys who I'm not sure if you remember, he was uh, he played some some time in Rochester, and you ended up fighting him this season. And that was Bob the Hammer Fleming. Uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember the hammer. I, I still remember the hammer. I didn't know who he was. They just yeah. I, I remember they signed him to kind of face us mm-hmm. because 
because we would go in. I remember going for a puck, and I can't remember the coach's name, but I he would scream at me all the time and and, and give it to a few of our players. Was it uh, Van, was Van Box? Was it Van Boxmeer? Was he the coach then? <laughs> yeah, he was coach at one point, but mm-hmm. I can't remember if that season. If if I, it's probably Boxy that that signed Fleming, but yeah. he uh, he, he uh, I remember him saying something chirping at me before the period start saying I couldn't skate <laughs> and uh, and I'm like alright I can't skate yeah, you're probably right I can't skate but I went in the corner against against one of his defensemen and, and I was second on the puck and the guy didn't want to go first <laughs> I came out with the puck made a pass a shot was taken I came back in front beat that defenseman put the puck in I just came back I, I came back I looked at him I said I don't really need to skate boxy or whatever the name was. <laughs> I can't remember who it was, and he was so infuriated that that his soft defenseman <laughs> let us get the puck and, and beat them in front of that. The next game, I see this guy, number thirty-two, and and I I believe I was playing with a jawbar. I had broken my my jaw against uh, Kirk Tomlinson in Adirondack, mm-hmm. and I just came back, and I'm playing with this kind of thing, protecting my jaw, an eye tech thing, and. But this guy Fleming didn't really care much. Uh, <laughs> I, I, he's, he's lining up, and I, I remember putting the puck between his legs and trying to go through him to go. Uh, I said he's going to turn, go get the puck, and I'm going to run him. <laughs> well, he let he let the puck go right by him, and when I look up, he had no gloves. He was waiting. <laughs> he was waiting for me, <laughs> and, he, and I didn't want to get in a fight. I, I I was barely coming back from my, I was coming back from my broken jaw. I'm like I can't be fighting. My doctor told me not to fight. <laughs> I'm just going to hold on to him and kind of protect myself. And and sure enough, he snuck one in and and got me pretty good. And uh, you know I couldn't eat steak for another week. I needed to wait a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was my yeah. He's a character. I mean, definitely. Uh, you know, and he's probably that kind of guy where he'd play wherever he's playing, and then Rochester would bring him up for certain games and. Uh, I think he's most famous for uh, on YouTube. They have two fights where he did real well against Kirk Tomlinson. One fight, he just, I uh, just he beat the wheels off him in one fight, really. And you know how tough Kirk was. So, yep. uh, so yeah, he's just he's one of those guys that you know these minor league guys that you just you're just not going to see anymore. And I, I think that's a sad thing, actually. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering how old he was when I played him. Like, it, I I can't remember, but to me, he was like. Over thirty-five, like he was. He looked older. Out. He definitely looked a lot older than all you guys. Yeah, I, I, I well, anyway, like to me, I was fighting my dad. But <laughs> he's he's stuff. He, he's stuff. I I just remember, look at this guy. Like they just signed this guy up. Hey, dad, I guess they signed this guy. He's gonna he's coming to, you know, they they they, they signed him just to play us. I'm like, really? <laughs> like anyway, it is oh. what it is. So when we go into the next season, and you had another fine season with Binghamton, you had 43 points, 255 penalty minutes. So when you first started, you had guys you know, like Rudy and Danny Vial, uh, Ty, and I think this was the first year, I think you played with Darren Langdon, who was as tough as they come, but a completely different style. And I don't think he intimidated guys like, like Rudy did, uh, but you know he was more of a technician. Uh, and again, you had guys like Fiorentino there and Marcinician. And there was a guy who played uh, a few games, I think, who went on to uh, a little more glory later on. But is there any chance you remember anything about a young Sasha Lakovic playing some games in Binghamton? <laughs> yeah, I do recall when we signed him, uh, when he came to us. Um, 
I, I remember him in practice, the, the way he skated mm-hmm. and, and, and the way he looked, but I don't re- I don't recall him in games. I believe he went to Utica afterwards, or uh, I might have played against him afterwards, and then I mm-hmm. saw him. The next thing I saw him, the next time I saw him, he was in the movie The Miracle. Yeah, as a as a Russian player. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So so I, I I you know I've got I remember him in practice um, having him on the line once in a while and trying to help him out and 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 talk talking to him. Uh, mm-hmm. Remember him being a a short stocky guy looked a little bit like Ty Domi in the yeah. way that he that he handled himself and skated out there. And uh, again with this season we continue Dan Lacroix versus Rochester. Um, you, you fought Dan Frawley again. I have it as you're fighting him five or six times. Was there anything personal with him, or it was just uh, results of what was going on in the game? Uh, more results. Like he was an emotional player and, and, and played the game really hard. And uh, like pretty much cut from the same mold. You know, like I, we, we butted heads, and uh, but he was he was such a good competitor and a good leader for his team. Like I, I really respected him. Uh, the way he played the game, and we we would end up matching up pretty well. And 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 uh, I just remember like he, he would fight. So I, I I'm not sure he would old, even hold on. Sometimes mm-hmm. this guy would just punch with two hands and just try to you know try to really end it early. And uh, uh, he, he 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 fought like he played. And another a teammate of his who you seem to always seem to hook up with that season uh, more than once. Was uh, another minor league guy, Bruce Shoebottom. Bruce Shoebottom. Yeah, I remember him playing against him in, in uh, Portland. Uh, if I remember, yep. I think he was in Maine. He was, and, and uh, with Kaminsky, and then and then uh, they got him in in Rochester. Um, I wanted the puck in his corner. I wanted to. <laughs> I wanted to turn and go get the puck so we could <laughs> run him. He wouldn't have to stand up and, and hit us. And I, I just. When he looked mad, he looked so mad. Yeah, his yeah. face. You know, he was intimidating because, you know, he, he, I, I couldn't grow hair on my chin back then. This guy, <laughs> this guy's got a quite long face, shoe. Like he, he was, and it's funny because I've contacted him since I retired. I've, I've, I've talked to him a couple of times uh, through. I, I can't remember if it's uh, Lincoln or something. I, I, mm-hmm. I remember meeting him. He's such a nice guy. And, yeah. uh, and I had seen him play in the playoffs. I believe in the playoffs against Montreal when he was with the Bruins. So I, I always, I, you know, I, I remember the name, I remember the face, and now I'm facing it. I'm like, oh my god, I might have to, might have to drop against this guy. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but I, I kind of went in there defensively and tried to hold my own, I guess. So you've already touched on the fact that um, you were drafted by the Esposito regime, and then Neil Smith came in. Um, and then you really never got a chance to get a shot with the Rangers. My, my question is, if you look at your stats, what all you did was go to Binghamton. I'm sure you played a fine defensive game. You still scored 20-some-odd goals a year. You were fighting everybody, putting up 200 minutes. So basically all you did was go down there and do what was expected of you and did your job. At any point on that first few years where you kept going down to Binghamton and never really got a chance to get called up, how frustrating was it to, to do the job every night and go out there knowing that you're probably not getting a call up this season? Yeah, it, you know, you get the the American League is a is a league of development. So you, so you there's a lot of 
lessons to be learned by playing in the league. There's one about your skills, you're developing your skills, but there's also on, you know, how to become a, a, a pro. And and I was I was not ready to be a good pro, and it took me a few years, uh, discipline wise, not not meaning discipline, meaning getting myself ready and prepared to play the right way. And uh, a lot of that came uh, from off ice conditioning. I was I was always a, a thin kid that that was I like to ride the bike more and, and do cardio more and and, and I, I I didn't have a lot of strength to lift you know even with my role I I, I played at 185 190 but it took me a while to really learn how to train properly it took me a little bit longer and and uh, the American League you can get as a player you can get a little bit cynical after a while if, if if you go out there and, and and give it all year after year and you get cut, then you're like, uh, you, you kind of see the writing on the wall. And if, if we know who, who deserves to be called up. When we play and we see this guy getting called up, we're like, you know, Billy's getting called up. He deserves a call. And and most of the time we're, we're in accordance with, with the calls that are made, but sometimes we're not. And sometimes there, some call-up are or head scratching for players and and I've, I've witnessed it but you learn to roll with the with the punches and and uh, what it does it, it makes you a, a more uh, uh, more determined kid or it can really turn you off but in my case it made me a more determined and more uh, uh, you know I, I just wanted to, to show them that they were wrong about me so we go to 93-94, which is obviously a big season for uh, Rangers fans. Um, Neil Smith is still there, but now all of a sudden Mike Keenan is brought in as a head coach. And although, you know, Neil Smith is the GM, Mike Keenan kind of runs the show. And maybe a lot of people didn't uh, weren't happy that Mike was, was there because I know he has a reputation. But for yourself, did you view that as a fresh start? Yeah, I did. I did. I thought, I thought this was a... Uh, a fresh start for for me. I, I, the, the previous season, we I had Cody Campbell that came and, and finished the season with us, and we had that's a year we I think Binghamton still holds a record for most points in the American League. We had an unbelievable team, and I had a, a major uh, injury at the end of the year. I had a, a skate that sliced my wrist Ooh. and missed all playoffs. So uh, we didn't we didn't do well we underachieved i didn't finish the season with three games to go i, I was sidelined with my uh with my injury and uh but one thing they did it, it you know it made me uh it brought a a, a coach and colin campbell that ended up going back and working as an assistant with keenan and he had the chance to to coach the american league and knew the players down there so that gave me a head head start when i came to training camp at least now i felt i had somebody in my corner uh, Keenan didn't know anything about me, but I, I had Coley Campbell and a few more people in the organization that could now pull for me since I had a pretty good season the year before. And they gave me a shot at training camp. And uh, uh, But Keenan, had, had, uh, I believe Mike Hudson was the guy that he went and picked up off, off waivers from Chicago and brought to New York uh, to replace me because I was a younger version of a, probably a Mike Hudson and he he had, he had coached them before in Chicago, and that's when my days were numbered with the Rangers uh, playing on top. But you actually, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you did make the opening night lineup uh, for the Rangers that year, and you did play in Boston, or at home versus Boston, correct? 
Yeah. Yeah, that that was my that was my NHL uh, my first game in the NHL and, and uh, I had a pretty good training camp that year. I, I played a bunch of exhibition games and I, but but still I, I didn't think like for a coach like Mike Keenan and he's trying to win the cup to have a to have a, a rookie you know who's played zero games versus a, an experienced guy that could play a fourth line center role like Mike Hudson. Uh, you know he decided to. Mike Hudson might would be a better fit for what they needed that year, and, and uh, Mike Hudson didn't play much, but he was a serviceable player. And and I, one of the things with the Rangers is that the Rangers, a lot of us spent a lot of time in the minors because the Rangers would all often trade for older players. Yeah, and uh, young kids would pay the price uh, at times in the minors. So when you were um, sent back down to Binghamton. Um, there's just a couple of uh, incidents I want to ask you about. So you you fought a guy named Tracy Eglund uh, in Hershey, and then a couple of weeks later you had a rematch with him uh, in Binghamton. And in that fight, uh, you shoved him through the door onto the uh, Hershey bench. Do you remember those uh, incidents? Nope. Yeah, I remember the name vaguely, and I remember you know playing some a lot of hard games against Hershey at times. Mm. Uh, but I do not recall. I do not recall Joe. Yeah. Not a lot of my fights I, I recall in the. And it's not because I've had concussions. I, yeah. I just things that are really important to me. Like I, I I'll remember some 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 of my teammates' goals and team wins and and a couple scraps where I might have got my ass kicked or something. But uh, all these different little scraps mm-hmm. I I don't recall. But you've actually done pretty well so far in remembering them I, I think when you go back and listen to this you'll see that you have remembered quite a few so uh, so that's okay but one thing you did get a taste of this season when you were recalled by the Rangers I think you did get into a game against the Islanders if I'm not mistaken and even though it was only uh, one game are you able to kind of get a feel for what the rivalry means to both teams and both fan bases yeah I, I did and and I got a good feel of the rivalry I believe in, tra- in uh, training camp uh, I remember playing exhibition games um, against the Islanders, and and you know I think we might have played back to back, or one on the island and one in New York, and and I I remember feeling it then. You know I remember some of the Rangers, the conversations in the room. I remember Joey Kosher in, in the room, uh, talking about who we're playing and and guys getting up, and it's, you could feel that it wasn't just an ordinary game, and you felt it within. The dressing room within the players, and then when you got out on the ice, you felt it uh, from the fans, from the excitement and the energy that came from uh, from the fans, and those were always really fun games, and and uh, it's great to be part of uh, such a rivalry. Um, at the end of the season, you are freed from the Ranger grasps, and they trade you to the Bruins for Glenn Featherstone. Um, how did you feel about that trade? I guess on one hand, they're the only organization you knew. But maybe on the other hand, you have a chance to actually make an NHL roster and stick. What were your feelings about that? Well, I, I was excited about the opportunity. Like I, I, I felt I wanted to stay with the Rangers because uh, because I, I I had been I went through a few coaches and a few uh, and a couple GMs and and now I felt that um, the team I, I was loyal <clears throat> to to them and they were it, it was going to pay it's going to pay pay me back in, in some ways and then. Um, I was told that uh, Michael Connell, that was a coach in the American League the year before, became uh, assistant GM in uh, 
in Boston really put in a bid. Like he, you know, he, he wanted me to, he thought I could make the Bruins and be a contributor on that team. And I, I welcomed the opportunity. Uh, but that, that ended up being the lockout year. So there wasn't much hockey to be played uh, before Christmas. But I, um, correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe you don't know this for sure, but I think you would have made the team out of training camp if it weren't for the lockout. Do you do you agree with me? Yeah, no, they they, they did tell me that, that I had made the team, and then but but back then, most of the teams in the in the NHL would send their bubble guys or guys on two ways yeah. back to the minors. But Harry Sinden was a pretty hard line GM uh, when it when when uh, this happened, and yet send bunch of us young guys uh, home and not to the Amer- not to the Providence uh, Bruins and in my case I had broken some ribs in training camp oh, wow. and because of that because of that in my last exhibition game and because of that I I kind of you know I went down in a conditioning and stayed down uh, because of my injury and, and luckily enough I, I ended up playing my son was born and I got a paycheck which was at the time I was <laughs> Yeah. I didn't have a lot of money in the bank with two kids, so I was I was kind of the paycheck was pretty important. And when you were down in Providence, you played forty games, uh, half a season, um, and eventually you were called up to Boston. But even with only forty games, you ended up leading the team in penalty minutes with uh, two hundred sixty-six. Um, a couple of things I want to ask you about: there was a young guy that was up and coming with the uh, Devils in Albany. Uh, named Christoph Oliwa. Now, I know you say you don't remember a lot of these, but uh, he's a guy that's a pretty big guy, and uh, he's yep. a bit of a character. Do you remember that fight you had with him? Yes, I, I, that, that one I, re- I do remember. Yep. I remember uh, the game. It w- the game was in uh, Providence, and uh, I remember this big gangly kid, uh, <laughs> you know, running around a little bit and, and not <laughs> not being fully coordinated, as yeah. it looked like, and... and uh, and I remember the scrap. He, you know, he, he was a, a pretty, uh, pretty tough kid. That that not as technical. You know, he was just starting out, and uh, and I, I I remember having a, a pretty good scrap. And and following his career after that, I had a bunch of other games after uh, against him afterwards. Now, also, this was the season where it seemed like there was a little bit of a rivalry that that developed with. Uh, now, as you know. You know, I love you, Danny. And, but you had a little bit of a rivalry with someone else who is a really good friend of mine, and that's Kevin Kaminsky. And I think this was the start of it when you were in Providence and he was in Portland. And you two guys always managed to find each other out there on the ice. Uh, and, and it happened later with the Rangers, too. But, uh, I mean, he's a guy you always have to know where he is on the ice at all times, similar to yourself. I love the way killer played like I, I really did I really did I it, it's like I really looked up as a young kid I looked up uh, you know I wasn't a fan of the Quebec Nordiques but I, I like uh, Dale Hunter mm-hmm. and and he had number 32 and my junior coach gave me number 32 so I kind of stuck with that number most of my most of my career when I could get it and and uh, and then I, I would play against Portland and mm-hmm. then you see this guy just he played the game like head first and everything he did 100 miles an hour mm-hmm. and uh, so passionate so committed to his team and obviously we butted heads but not in a bad way right. it, I think there was I think there was a lot of respect there but uh, we did end up having a few uh, 
probably a few scraps, but I don't think those were scrap. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we ever really squared off and fought. I think no. there were more that, you know, after after the whistle and, and a few bodies would come together and because he wasn't he wasn't a, he wasn't chirping as much. He let his play. He played hard and yeah. uh, and sometimes he played over. He crossed the line and and then some of us took exception to that and and, yeah. <laughs> and wanted to, to get back at it and there was a lot of pe- people he was he was uh chasing guys around more with his hits and looking for big hits and then yeah. he would get chased around a little bit by big guys who wanted to uh probably get a piece of them. well uh one thing you should know that i know obviously you're, you're a canadians fan well you grew up there so uh quebec was always my second favorite team so i think you were wrong you should really been, yeah oh yeah i loved them uh, they always had rough teams, you know. They always had rough guys. I love the Stastny brothers and, and Dale yeah. Hunter. Um, I just for maybe it's the kind of thing where being an Islander fan, they're always playing in the shadow of the Rangers, and maybe I kind of saw that in Quebec, always being in the shadow of Montreal. Yep. So maybe that was it. But I, they were always my second favorite team. I was, I mean, for as uh, for a guy from Long Island, as devastated, I guess I could be as devastated as I could be being on Long Island when they moved to Colorado, but. I hated that. They were always always my second favorite team. I love the Nordiques. And, uh, oh, nice. Yeah, the other thing is you you probably didn't see it too much because you were in the games, but whenever um, Killer would play against the Rangers, oh, boy, did he drive Davidson and Sam Rosen crazy. It was fun listening to those guys. They would just <laughs> – he drove them nuts. So uh, so that was always a fun one. I remember watch. him – I remember his line. I remember his line in Washington. He played with uh, Mike Eagles. And uh, and Craig Berube, yep. and, and and Killer on yeah. the, and and, those, and and that was a tough line, like because Eagles played really hard. Yeah. I, I ended up coaching his uh, his son in, in Moncton in Major Junior, and he was such a competitor. And, and then Chief on one side, and then you got uh, Killer, and, and we had pretty uh, pretty uh, good games. The Rangers and, and Washington were always hard games. Oh, ton of fun! I love those games, definitely. Yep. So um, NHL comes back, and you find yourself in Boston, and you have a bunch of firsts. So uh, tell me about your first NHL goal uh, for the uh, play when you were at the Bruins uh, against Philadelphia. Yeah, my my first game with the Bruins opening night. It's the last year of the uh, old Boston Garden, and uh, you know I just happened to go to the net. Uh, shot is taken. I take the rebound. I put it in on Dominique Roussel, I believe. Mm. Uh, so opening night, I'm I'm like, well, I'm feeling pretty good. We won four uh, one. Cam Neely had the had the only three goals. <laughs> <laughs> Who got first up, star? Uh, Who got first star? You or him? Uh, Cam Neely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they call him Bone. Uh, Cam was unbelievable that year in a, in a shortened season. I think scored fifty. Yeah, and uh, he was he was such a beast, and uh, no, but I had a good yeah. That was my first first game at the at the old Garden um, for the for the Bruins and opening night. I, I I said, well, that's gonna be, you know, I'm getting an opportunity. I'm gonna have a chance to tuck a few in. And that was my only goal this season. So, um, you did have a few fights for the Bruins. Uh, your first NHL fight, I guess. Technically, your first NHL fight, because like you said, you had you've had fights in the exhibition against the Islanders, whatever. But your technically your first NHL fight was uh, against a Canadian, Lyle Oline. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I do remember, and and the reason I remember is that 
we have played, I can't remember how many games we have played, but the team wasn't playing well in Boston. Like, we, we had a, a strong first line with Adam Oates and, and Cam Neely and, and a couple strong Ds. But there was a lot of, you know, the, the third and fourth line. and We, we weren't young goaltender. We weren't winning a lot of games. And uh, I remember reading or hearing that, you know, they would place some of us on, on waivers or mm-hmm. there might be some changes uh, coming to the fourth line. So I'm like, I'm not going to go down without a fight. Like, I, I need to get myself involved. And I would, I would you know, tr- try to get uh, to get some hits and, and, and create things in games. But uh, I, I never, never got a chance to get a scrap. So I remember playing Montreal and, and bumped into a, uh, on the line and I told him uh, you want to go you know he's like no no I'm like come on man I, I need I, I really need one like and then then he uh, and I knew he was a lefty I believe he's a lefty so I went left, left on left so I had no, no arms done and uh, it wasn't much of a fight but at least it, it might have bought me a couple more uh, more weeks in uh, Boston and then um, while you were there you ended up fighting uh, Paul Laws Mike Peluso, and you had a really nice goal with Chris Tamer. Uh, any of those fights stand out to you at all? I mean, you didn't pick on little guys there. No, I I, I, re, I do remember. Like I, I, you know, being in the NHL is my first. It, I'm in a different league and with different fighters. And uh, as I was, I had played in the American League and know the league and knew the guys that had been established in that league. And and now you you know you're in a different uh, different league with different weight class you got some bigger guys and and remember how Paul Laos was always a willing combatant yes yeah. very very tough kid I think he led the league with in majors that year and and Tamer was was more my weight class more of a B fighter that you know I, I could really uh, you know he liked to play a game and throw his body 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 around played hard and uh, we ended up you know finding our each other a couple of times uh, while I played in the league. So, I guess things are going along in Boston, and then how in God's name do you find yourself getting claimed off waivers by the Rangers of all teams? Well, here's what happened: like the the team wasn't winning in Boston, so they put four of us on waivers with the intentions of sending us down. Mm. Uh, I think Mark Potvin, myself, Nico Makala, and either Steve Ines or someone else. I think. Four of us were put on waivers with uh, the, uh, I think, to send us to the minors, and then the Rangers uh, claimed me. The, the good thing about the Rangers now, Coley Campbell was now coaching. Mm. He knew me. He had me in the American League. He knew that I, I could be a good uh, depth guy if they had injuries. And they still had a pretty good team in New York. And interestingly enough, Mark Messier was hardly practicing at the time. Uh, he had sore wrists sore ribs so mess would come in ride the bike and he always needed somebody to they needed a center to run the, to, 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 to skate in his spot during practice so that that pretty much became my role I, I think I played one game with the yeah. Rangers mm-hmm. in, in the 25 there was 20 25 games left in the season when I showed up there uh, I played one I did 90% of the warm-ups in case somebody would get hurt and uh did the same thing in playoffs. We beat Quebec in playoffs, and then played Philly. And I just remember being just an extra guy that did warm ups and, and and stayed ready. But I I also felt that I had a 
you know, the, the veterans were really good with the team, and, and I, I knew all of the guys, most of the guys, if not all of the guys, when I showed up there, so it was a pretty smooth transition. And then going into next season now, so now you know you're coming back, you're going back to camp with the Rangers, um, and like you say, uh, Colin Campbell was there. So because they because they claimed you, but then you only ended up playing the one game, when you come to camp next year, do you have the discussion with Campbell at all where he basically tells you, look, I'm going to give you every opportunity to make this team? Or were you at least a little concerned that it was going to be more of the same with the Rangers? No, I, I, I kind of knew it would be more of the same. Like I'm, I'm a – I knew where I stood. By that time, I had enough ex- experience, and and you know didn't didn't think too highly of myself to think I should have a spot uh, coming to camp. So I knew I, I would have to to earn my spot. That there'd be extra guys, and you know my my goal was always to 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 do my job as well as I could, and and find a, a regular spot on the team and. And, you know, if they had other plans and other players, I, I wasn't an expect, expensive player. So mm-hmm. knowing that, that you're all also oftentimes an easy guy to send down. And I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to I'm going to come in and try to earn my spot. And that's what I had to do my whole career. And that season you did, uh, you ended up with two goals uh, for the Rangers. Your first Rangers goal was uh, in, against Washington. So even though it wasn't your first NHL goal, was there sort of a relief in the fact that you've been in this organization for so many years and you actually finally got some games with them and you actually scored a goal for them? Yeah, I, I did take a lot of pride in, in being with one. Uh, all my contracts were signed with the Rangers. Like, I never signed with the Bruins. I was traded to the Bruins. I went back to the Rangers. And, mm-hmm. you know, by that time, it's my eighth NHL season. Uh, and to be able to... And, to feel confident and, and comfortable with players that I really liked. Like, I really enjoyed the, the group with the Rangers and the dressing room they had. I was good friends with uh, the guys that I played in the minors when they started, like Mike Richter and, and not often, like Leach didn't play in, 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 uh, didn't play in a Flint, but uh, Mike Richter certainly did. And I remember them coming in the league when I was going to camp. And so I, there was a familiarity there, and, and uh, I just wanted to see these guys who had just won a cup. And uh, for me, it was it was big, you know, because my first NHL game with the Rangers was big because I had waited a long time uh, to get it. And then uh, scoring my first goal was, uh, was pretty special. Uh, at the end of that season, you became a free agent, and uh, you signed with a team that was probably perfect for you. It, I think it worked out pretty good, at least uh, for almost two seasons. Uh, what led you to sign with the Flyers? Well, it, I had a couple teams interested, and uh, I like the East. I'm, I'm, to, to me, there, there's a when I played with the Rangers uh, the previous season, uh, Coley Campbell. With a lot of when 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 teams were a little bit softer, I wouldn't I wouldn't be in the lineup. I wouldn't play. But anytime we played uh, Jersey, Washington, uh, I would be in the lineup. So. We come and play Montreal. I'd be scratched, and, and then when we play harder teams, I'd play. And uh, Philly was one of the teams I played, and, and uh, it, it was always a team. When I grew up, I liked the the Flyers and the Bruins and the Montreal Canadiens. So now to have a chance to play in Philly, I thought that was a pretty good fit. And when you walk in, uh, one of your assistant coaches is Dave Brown. How, how'd you get along with Dave? I uh, love love. 
uh, Dave. Uh, he was really, really good to us uh, players. Like he wasn't far removed from. I think he he was only uh, that was his first year, or second year coaching, and um, he was really good to us. He, really good to a young kid, to a kid like me that that you know once once in a while would scrap. He, he was always always really supportive, and uh, I remember him between periods coming in, always tapping tapping on the pads if, if uh, one of us had a scrap and um, always very encouraging and, and uh, very good listener a man of a few words but but would get a pretty good read on situations and uh, at a good way to simplify uh, you know situations that sometimes us players have to, uh, a tendency to overcomplicate at times. Uh, one of the things that I think is very special about you, uh, a player like yourself, a player like Kevin Kaminsky, uh, Mark Jansen, Zazen, and Kanaka, is that you play the physical role, you drop the gloves, but you're all centers, which is which is a very rare thing. Um, and because you're a center, you go to Philadelphia, and now all of a sudden, how did the Dan line happen? Uh, well, just just the combination of, like, we played hard lines in every every team in our division had pretty big lines and, and if you remembered uh, Mike Peluso mm. uh, Randy McKay yeah. um, and Bobby O'Leak were, right. were the big line in, in Jersey and that kind of put the standard like who, who in our division could could play a, a line like that not a lot of teams had, had the, uh, the manpower to do it and, and on our side uh, you know, there was a John Drews would be with our line once mm-hmm. in a while. He, he would he would come in, in and out, and uh, we did a rotation with uh, four guys or a guy maybe called up from the minors. But uh, we did play a lot of games together, and uh, we had fun playing together. And we had such a good team that uh, you know when, when you you put the puck deep in the corner, uh, Dan Cordick wasn't going to go trying to. Play a fancy game. <laughs> go in hard on the forecheck, and same with uh, Scott Daniels. Chief was was a great teammate and loved to play the game and played a lot of energy. And uh, so so having us three around was was a lot of fun. Like it's probably the, you know one of the best line or most fun line that I've played with at the NHL level for sure. See, and this is what I'm talking about. So you talk about the Devils line, and obviously I like you know Mike Peluso, I like Randy McKay. Not really so much a Bobby Holik fan. Um, but on your line, and a guy like Jansen's in, in Hartford, let's say, where he's playing with Stu Grimms and Kelly Chase, you guys to me are the X factor, where you could go to Washington and put killer between, say, Craig Berube and Chris Simon. Uh, you could play between Cordick and Daniels. Uh, you know, Jansen's between you know Chase and Grimson. To me, that's what makes you guys so special. You don't have to put a guy like Bobby Holik in there. You could put a legitimate guy like yourself, and I'm not I'm not pumping your tires here. I mean, I'm, you know how you know how I feel about you. I think you're tough as nails. I think you could play a good defensive game, but that's to me the difference between all those other lines, all those other fourth lines, and like when the teams that you played on is because you play the game like a tough winger, but you can take faceoffs. You can play defensive center and. That to me is the difference between your line and the line in New Jersey because I take you over Bobby Holik any day of the week. Yeah, well, Bobby Holik was a much better player and a, a stronger player, and he, wow. he did some serviceable thing. But yeah, he, I mean, I know he's better looking, more, but uh, you know. Yeah, I I wouldn't say that. <laughs> the uh, for us, like sometimes when you add uh, three, uh, Cordic was a was a heavyweight guy, yeah. but but uh, Chief. 
Chief and myself were, you know, more like B. I, I always call them B fighters, yeah. but we're guys that get, will show up every night and play a hard game. And sometimes you have strength in numbers. And in our case, with you've got three guys uh, like us that will go in. And you know, most nights we just play. We just want to have an easy night and play a good game and have fun. Like we like to play the game. That's what yeah. we want to do. So. Um, most nights that would be the case, and then some nights, you know, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a battle. One of those nights that was a battle was uh, the night that you had your first Flyers fight, regular season Flyers fight. You picked on a little guy in L.A., Matt Johnson, um, you know, small guy. Uh, if you remember that fight, and then later in the game, you uh, you gave uh, Kevin Stevens a pretty good elbow, uh, and you were suspended for that. So. Uh, I guess question one, do you remember the fight with Matt? And question two, did you deserve to be suspended for that elbow? Yeah, I, I, I remember both, and I, I did uh, deserve the suspension. <laughs> I, that, was, that, was, uh, that was my first, my first uh, game with the Flyers. Uh, we started on a West Coast trip, um, and Steven, I, I lined up Stevens with my hip, and he got away from me, and I kind of... When I saw it again the next time, I'm like, "Oh my God!" I, I raised my elbow and uh, and got him where he stayed on the ice. So I knew right away uh, him staying on the ice. Um, that was a, a, a big hit, and um, I looked down the bench, and then I knew Lindros, uh, Eric knew who who uh, Matt was, and, and and he said, "Well, just." You know, be aware he's, he's going to come after you. And, yeah. and I'm like, oh, that's a big guy. That's a little <laughs> bit out of my league. But <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to find a way to hold on to him. And, it, you know, and, and that's what happened. And it was also a statement game for me playing my first game with, uh, with my teammates uh, uh, on a new team. So, so I, I remember that game vividly. So that, that whole season, you played 74 games. Seven goals, by the way. That's not too bad. I don't know how many Bobby Holik had that year. But seven goals in 74 games. So you're playing, and you're playing, I would think you're playing regularly. Um, did yeah. you just feel confident? Like, did your, did your game go to a different level? Because I, I always think a lot of your fights, they were. I thought they were very entertaining. But even this season, like, say, you fight guys like Matt Johnson. You fought Danny Lamberry, you kind of gave it to him. You fought Jovanovski, you gave it to him. Uh, you did real well against Wade Belak a lot now, and that's Wade Belak up and coming. The guy's just a monster in waiting. Um, so in your playing and in your fighting, did everything just feel like it came together that season? Yeah, it did. It did, and, and part of the reason was, um, you know, I had a regular. I earned a regular spot on the line. Like I, I wasn't in and out of lineup. So, so in in that case, you gain confidence, and and then you try to make you may you try to make plays not. Uh, just a simple game, but at least you find you have a little bit of confidence and all, also at more ice time. Uh, Terry Murray was a coach that played four, four lines. Uh, he, he would play, you know, we, we had two big lines in Lindros line and then Brindamore second line and then Joel Otto. That was, that was our center line. Like you had Lindros, Brindamore, Joel Otto and myself. And some nights we played more, some some nights we played less. But we always feel felt we're in in the game and and part of the game. So uh, then you tuck one in, you you play with uh, decent players and uh, de decent defensemen, and you get a little bit more of an opportunity to score. Now we go into the next season, 
And um, Islander Flyer games were always interesting because you always had that uh, Pilon and Lindros uh, thing going on. But you actually played a game this season where you w- tried to take Richie's head off after he uh, went after John LeClaire. Do you remember that? I do remember, and I, I remember that because there was a lot of pressure on us to uh, to do something about Pilon in the press. And yeah. and now now after my first year in Philly, we, we had changed uh, coach and... and so it was a, a totally different way of, uh, of of being coach when we uh, uh, without uh, Terry Murray and and uh, I remember the game before we played him that he took a run Richie took a run at uh, at John Leclerc so now it's back to back games and after the first time we played him um, not we never had a chance to go on the ice and I remember Dan Cordick saying you know like let us I want to I want to grab piece of that guy mm-hmm. and uh but we never got on the ice at the same time and that was a, that wasn't gonna happen that night and then the next game we played he goes he goes again and takes takes a run and i happened to be on the ice so i i beeline yes you did uh, one thing one, <laughs> one thing i forgot to ask you about the season before with you and and chief and dan cordick uh i would imagine that there were games that probably were against divisional uh, opponents where maybe the three you guys kind of maybe had to huddle up before a game and say well this happened last time we got to take care of this guy or if this happens did you ever have and you don't have to get specific but did anything like that ever happen with the three of you we we all felt different about our roles and i'm not i wasn't you know i I was raised a different way Mm -hmm. i was raised playing uh on by different coaches with a different like how can I say like some, some fighters have a code and and, and I know Dan Cordick had a really uh, way to see the game and and if somebody uh, did him a favor by by dropping the gloves when he felt he, he needed to and and had asked nicely then he would he would in turn uh, next time he would play him he would you would say, well, I, you know, I owe him a fight, so I can't say no to him. And right. my, in my book, dropping the gloves was always about what, what was best to, to my team. And mm-hmm. if I can get the other team to, to get a, take a two minutes, and drop, and me keeping my gloves on, I would do it because it, it was all about you do that in order to win the game, and and, and for your advancement to make playoffs and to win a championship, not just to stay in the league and get the code and I need to respect them, give them time and the, no, it, it's about winning the game and uh, we have different views we have conversations before games and I would say, I'm not fighting that guy mm-hmm. you know, I would. we would need to be down by three goals for me to, to fight tonight, There's. I have no reason to, to even want to give that team momentum mm-hmm. you know, why would I even put myself and my team in that situation and then in our conversation they would say well, I'm not the same Dan, I, I'm, I'm going to probably go him and uh, so anyway, we, we had those conversations often and we didn't see the game there the same way, but mm-hmm. we sure respected uh, each other's views. Uh, someone who I think you, you have a lot of respect for just in the conversations that we've had over the years is an ex-teammate of yours who you ended up fighting in your second season with uh, Philadelphia. Uh, you fought Ty Domi in Toronto. Uh, I think that was the only time you guys may have fought in your career, correct? Yep. How'd that go for you? Well, th- that's one that the, the game the game's not going too well and and we're losing in Toronto I remember having a, a really sore back and, and 
wasn't sure I was going to play that game, and then some other guys couldn't play, so I, I could hardly uh, tie my skates. And I'm I'm playing the wing, and not seeing a lot of action. And, and uh, there's a neutral zone faceoff, and I get put out there. So I I know if I he puts me on the left wing, I'm a center. He puts me on the left wing and ties on the right wing. Uh, then I go to tie. I'm like tie. You want a goal? Like I want to change the momentum of the game. We're losing by a couple of goals and. He goes, nah, ask Kinger on the other side. He'll, he'll fight you. <laughs> I'm like, all right, so I'm going to go ask Chris King as soon as he drops the glove, uh, the, the puck. And as Ty says that, uh, they drop the puck, and then Ty's put on a show. He, he backs up and, and then starts <laughs> sparring, and, and uh, so we end up going. Uh, yep. Now, um, speaking of your ex-team, <clears throat> excuse me, now you played a game in MSG. And you and PJ Stock were kind of going at it, and uh, it was getting a little physical. And uh, you got knocked down. And when you got up, you had uh, you were basically face to face. You had on one side you could grab PJ Stock, and on the other side you could grab Eric Cairns. And I I think you might have made the right choice. You know, PJ's tough. Uh, <laughs> PJ, don't get me wrong, PJ's tough. But uh, were were you cognizant at that moment? I mean, every, hockey is such a fast game. But when you look up and yeah. you have PJ and and Eric Cairns. Did did you were you cognizant and said maybe I'll let Dan Corda go after Eric? Well, the, the other thing the other thing you have to remember I played with Kernsey when yeah. he started in the league mm-hmm. in the American League and, yeah. and I I love the guy. Me he too. Was a real good teammate. He mm-hmm. was just a young guy coming up and uh, talk about being gangly and not growing to your own body yet when he first started as yeah. a twenty year old mm-hmm. uh, with with us. But to see him grow and and, and become the player he did. Yeah. Uh, but I also know that. As I'm, as I look up, I know that I'm not by myself. I got Dan Cordick behind me, so I got one guy that's six <laughs> six. You got, you got Currency that's six five, and uh, then I look around. You know, it's me and and uh, and PJ Stock. So that's probably a better uh, a better <laughs> fit to let Currency uh, fight the courts. Now um, that season's almost over, and uh, now. You know, you know, I love most of the guys who do the job. There's probably a handful of guys I don't really care for. One of the guys I really don't care for too much is uh, Andre Nazarov. I think he's a bluff, to be honest with you. And uh, there was a game in Tampa uh, where I think he suckered you. And uh, then Darcy Tucker. Could you take me through that whole incident with Nazarov and Tucker? Well, just to do. Yeah, I, I can just briefly. It's, yeah. it's a. It's one of those. It's one of those uh, situations where we're up by three, four goals, and uh, you know we. You'd like the game to be over with, and not much is going on. They have Sandy McCarthy, we have Dan Cordick, and and uh, can't remember if Scott Daniels was playing. But uh, so we play Tampa. They're not a very good team, and and like I said, we're leading by three, four goals, and then some chirping after the whistle, and it's it's guys that none of none of the big guys are doing anything. It's it's little guys just chirping away, and. I've got this guy that I don't know. I, I'm not sure who Nazarov is, and I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have a beef with him. I don't think nothing's happening. And then I think I, I believe Tucker was uh, telling Nazarov to just to to drop to drop his glove and fight me. And I'm looking at him, going, like, can you please shut it? Are you serious? And I'm not even looking at Nazarov. I'm yeah. looking at Tucker through it, and and Nazarov dropped the glove, sucker punched. I think I thought at the time I thought my orbital bone was broken. I mm-hmm. I was bleeding profusely and yeah. 
I, I think I think I needed like 60, 70 stitches. No way to repair the wound. But at the time, at the time, I I didn't even know that it was Nazarov. I had no idea. I was just kind of in front of a guy with my gloves on, and I was directly looking at Tucker talking from the back, and you know Darcy doing what he did best, and uh, and that started the whole uh, you know a little brawl. Now, you know, as as we get older, you know, we have uh, different memories and everything, and I could be completely wrong if I'm misremembering this. Um, did I read somewhere? Was there almost something out by the team bus uh, after the game, or am I completely well, off base with I, that? I was told. I was told it took a while because the, the Tampa had a, had a, a cosmetic uh, surgeon, like a, a hand surgeon that would do, that could do uh, plastic surgery, like not plastic surgery, but but a real good surgeon that sewed me. That where where another another uh, surgeon might have put twenty five stitches around my eye, he, he put in like close to. 50, 60 stitches uh, to 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 get all this done, and so so the bus waited a long time for me. Mm-hmm. We're going to Florida to play the next day, and what I was told is that Eric Lindros wasn't playing that night; he was hurt. Yeah. And when Nazarov came out with his uh, girlfriend at the time, or wife, I'm not sure, uh, he went and confronted him, yeah. and uh, and that that's the little incident. I don't think anything happened other than that. Right. Okay. So when you go to next season, you're going back to Camp of Philadelphia, and next thing you know, um, you're traded to Edmonton. Uh, I can't. I don't know. That couldn't have been a good thing for you, was it? <laughs> <laughs> no, wasn't. A, wasn't a very good thing, and and uh, and I knew I knew it could happen because they had signed Mark Bureau mm-hmm. in in the in the summer, and and it was it was a way for them to upgrade their fourth line position, getting a guy. He had a real good playoff the year before in Montreal, so. And he assigned him to a lot of money, so uh, I, I had just signed a new contract. And Clarkie, sitting down with Bobby Clark afterwards, after the trade was done, he said, "Danny, I, you know, I want to give you a two-year deal because I, I think you're, you've been a really good soldier, a real good serviceable player for us. Uh, I want, I knew there wouldn't be much room for you, but there'd be interest in the league. And if I put you on waivers, I knew a team would pick you up. So, uh, I, and I didn't accept a." a uh, is is two years? I just played. I just signed my one year because I, I at least I said I'm gonna have a chance to dictate where I can go. Like I can sign a two way deal somewhere, and and at least I'll have a a little bit of control where I'm going. As if I sign two years, you're gonna train me to a team I don't want to go to. Right. Uh, <laughs> I I ended up being uh, traded for uh, on a one year deal to uh, to Edmonton, and Edmonton really at the time was just trying to unload. Valerie Zelapukin's yeah. contract. So mm-hmm. I ended up going there. There wasn't any room for me there. I played a, a handful of games and uh, went back, went went to, to Hamilton and the American League. Uh, when you were in Hamilton, you were um, you had a really, really good fight. I'm going to ask you about one fight, only because we've already discussed him. You remember the toe-to-toe beauty that you had with P.J. Stock? Tough tough to forget a fight that happened in, in overtime you don't you, like i can't remember if it's three on three or four on four uh i think it's four on four and we, but you you didn't see overtime fights much right you still don't and uh that, that'd be a good stat if you could come yeah. up with the number of fights in overtime in, yeah. in the three on three or four on four it's probably but one me and pj me and pj i don't know how this happened but we always bang in, you know, would run into each other and, uh, you know, left and rights and and uh, 
it was pretty long, long-winded fight, and you know, we're the kind of guys that that would punch and wouldn't really hurt each other. So that was a good thing. And then um, your last NHL fight, uh, you did get called up for a few games with Edmonton. If I'm not mistaken, did you, unless my memory is screwed up, were you called up when Edmonton came to Long Island? Because I remember seeing you, but uh, you didn't play, or am I just completely nuts? You may not remember. I don't re- no, I don't recall, because I think I was called up with Edmonton on a West Coast trip, but I might okay. You know what? You, you might be right. There yeah. was there was one trip that I was I was in Jersey and uh, with Edmonton and yeah. to to start the season. Yeah. And I don't believe I played in, in Jersey and then right. Long Island. Yeah, because I yeah. could have sworn I remember chatting with you about that, and I remember I didn't, you didn't yeah. seem too happy. Um, but your last NHL fight was with an, as an Oiler against Jason Botterill on Dallas. Um, you remember that one at all? I do. I feel. You know, almost feel bad because I didn't know who Jason Botterill was, but I, I had bumped the goal. I didn't get a lot of shift and a lot of a lot of games uh, with Edmonton, so I wanted to make a. I always knew that if you bump the goalie, uh, players are going to come to you sooner or later. So Belfour was a pretty hot goalie, and 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 in our game plan was if you can bump him and get get him off his game, uh, which I did, and then next thing you know we're, there's a little bit of a scrum in front of the net but on the next face off after a goal I get sent out on, on the left wing and they send Jason Botterill and I, I remember the coach I think Hitchcock yeah. asked, asked him to switch to to play the right wing to face me because I had bumped the goalie mm. well he's sending this I'm, I'm looking at him as a kid because yeah. I, I, I didn't really know who he was and, and uh just a good sized kid but not a not a fighter so yeah. uh, I was I was I was out of that game we had George Lorac on our team and yeah. I think he ended up fighting Hatcher right right after it so season ends you're a free agent so uh, I've read both did you sign with the Islanders or did you sign with Chicago well I had signed with the Islanders uh, right I had a, I had a just uh, you know I, I found myself in a predicament I had a couple couple options to sign where I would be like a, a veteran player on an American League team and then a, a call up uh, need may be and uh, I was still working out pretty hard in the summer I, I, I felt really good and I wanted to go at the best where I could get the best opportunity to play I remember calling and, and uh, talking to Mike Mildry on the phone my agent said why don't you call him and talk to him yourself like they've had interest in you for for years, because there was there were rumors that of me getting traded to uh, to the Islanders when I was with the Flyers, mm-hmm. when they were trying to to get uh, Rich Pilon on the Flyers, mm-hmm. and uh, I had heard my name mentioned at the time, and and now that I, I find myself with a couple options, I'm like, well, you know, I'll talk to the GM and see, because I, I don't want to show up and uh, and not having a chance. I'd like to go to a team where I can I can maybe earn a, a spot, or if I if I uh, if I'm, uh, it's, if, if other guys are looking for jobs that are on two-way deals, how many guys on one-way contracts with teams? So, so that's something that we always look for. And, mm-hmm. and I know the other teams that I was talking to had a lot more guys on one-way deals. And that year, the Islanders had the least amount of guys on, yeah. on one-way contracts. It, it was half the team was signed on two-way. So uh, I went to, to the Islanders and had a real good camp. And in the first line of cuts, they they send me Scott Pearson and someone else, I believe, to to uh, to Chicago. So, 
Now, I have to ask because um, because I'm not a fan of Mike Milbury. Um, I feel duped by Mike Milbury. I'm not a fan of his. Um, I'm curious, when you did speak to him, did he give you the impression that you would have the chance to make the team? Or did he kind of say, look, we might sign you, but you know, you might be a veteran guy for Chicago? I mean, and you don't have to answer no. it if you don't want to, but did you get? Did he give yeah, you the no, impression? No, he, he was, you know, he was honest in saying there's going to be a lot of guys in your in your uh, in your position with mm-hmm. two-way deals. Yeah. So spots are going to be earned when you come to camp, mm-hmm. and you know, then, then you do your fitness tri- testing, and if you if you test pretty high, you feel you feel you got a good chance. But but then when the, when training camp starts first round of cuts no exhibition games yeah and, and i'm not just talking about myself but scott pearson had scored i remember he had scored three goals the night before in the, in the inner squad game mm-hmm. and this and they didn't give him a, an exhibition game he, he went home he didn't show up in chicago for another uh seven to ten days i believe he was really upset because mm-hmm. you know you, you just expect you're going to get a you're you know probably 29 years old at the time or mm-hmm. 30 years old and you think you're going to get a sh- couple exhibition games and and at least if you don't make the team, if you, the thing in the NHL is if you get sent down on waivers right away, then teams are not going to pick you up. Right. If because they're saying they don't, they're not at your camp. They're saying, "Ah, oh, he showed up at terrible shape." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's in the first round of cuts. So a lot of teams will put a, a player on waivers on paper early, keep him around, and uh, so that. He doesn't have to clear waivers twice, and that that's a, that's something that that's been done in, in the league. But in, in our case, we were sent on the first round of cuts, and uh, but you know it was a very different conversation when I had with uh, Butch Goring when he called me in. He said, "Dan, you know you're going to Chicago." I'm like, "What? Hmm. I didn't really know. I, yeah. I thought if I didn't make the team, I'm going to Chicago." But you know, I just kind of smiled a little bit, and he goes, "Well, on my side, I was told that you knew." You were assigned to go to Chicago. If we need you, we're going to call you up. So it worked out for the best. We went to Chicago. We won a championship with the Wolves and yeah. uh, had a really good se- had a good uh, good season there. So um, there's a couple of things about that season. You did end up playing one game for the Islanders. Was that um, was that like a merit thing, or was someone hurt, or do you remember why well, you were called they, up? I, I think I think the the Islanders at the most. Uh, that's the year that they they used the most amount of players ever mm-hmm. uh, by a team in the NHL so they had they had uh, farm teams and uh, with us in mm-hmm. Chicago and then I think they, they, they were putting players elsewhere too in the American League and and they called up so many guys yeah. and the team wasn't very good I, I remember thinking our, our team in Chicago was was equally as good as, as the one that they had with with uh, on the island but yeah. uh, no they just needed they had injuries they, they they just called up one more guy, so I went in for for a game against Jersey, and I remember Jersey beat us probably seven or two or something. I, I just I felt we were uh, you know we were outmatched by Jersey. Like I remember playing Jersey with the Rangers and playing against Jersey with the Flyers, and always having tight games and hard games. Yeah, it wasn't the same. Uh, the Islanders had a few uh, you know had a tough season that year. Now, um, one thing you did when you went to Chicago, uh, you went blonde. Uh, what was the story about that? That's a that's that's a, a part of my. Uh, I'd rather not. Uh, I, I I chose to forget. 
I was losing my hair. Mm-hmm. I was losing my hair, and I probably saw too too many music videos. I have no idea why I did that. Well, uh, you're the sec- I, My last guest on the show was Richie Pilon, and at one point he went blonde also. So uh, I've had two guests in a row that uh, that went blonde. I never thought I'd say that when uh, when I started the show. So. Who's uh, who's uh, the other guy that played there? Paul Cruz. Who's the guy that was blonde? Yeah. Cruz was sort of like a redheaded guy. He kind of yeah, had like yeah, red hair right, and everything. Right. But his was natural. Uh, he didn't hit the peroxide yeah, like you I and Richie. That, I can't. I can't. I can't even say that's because I want to look like Cruiser. But I, did you? Uh, no. <laughs> no, no. That that was. Uh, that's before I, I had no more hair. So I, mm. that's probably the last thing I could do with it. <laughs> so the one saving grace. Uh, to go into Chicago as you go down there and for an American League team you guys are you have a, a shit ton of veterans on the team guys with NHL experience or hundreds and hundreds of games of uh, minor league experience and you guys win the Turner Cup so uh, I mean you played all those years you finally won a championship what was that like it was it was fun like it, we had a real good a real good veteran team and a team that liked to to have fun uh, we, we the arena was all state arena was packed uh, good teammates like, that's where I got to play with Dean Malcock and, and uh, Gila Rose uh, you know again uh, Malte I didn't know some of the, some of the guys that I played with uh, you know beauties and, yeah. and Brian Noonan was there and I had a lot of fun like we, we would play we had a veteran team and, and won a lot of games and, and uh, I, I enjoyed the city of Chicago I think uh, it was a real good uh, transition, and by that time, I know I'm on my on my way out, and I'm looking at okay, what's going to be my role moving forward? Am I going to be a, I'm going to be a veteran? You know, like mm-hmm. that was really the transition. I, I was holding on to the dream the year before when I was in, in Hamilton and trying to get a, a shot, but that year with the Islanders uh, training camp and the way it happened, it kind of put a little bit more of a sour taste in my mouth, and and I was okay, I, you know realizing that that was the end of the road uh, for me. Well, it might have been the end of the road in the NHL or the American League, but the next season you found yourself across the pond. How does Dan Lacroix end up with the Newcastle Jesters? Well, it j- just a, a matter of, of my agent. You know, I was I was trying to, uh, waiting for for a contract in the, in the American League or IHL, and nothing was, nothing was coming my way. And, uh, when I saw, I told my agent I'm open to go to go to Germany, or but I I, I kind of gave him the okay late to look in Europe, and and he goes, well, there's this team, Danny, that was bought by Jokerit, uh, a Finnish team. They own a team in in the English league and uh, in the Super League they call it. Mm-hmm. If, if if you want to go there, it'd be, it might be a foot in the door with a big organization, a Finnish team, and uh, who knows? Like if they need someone, you know, they they could go up. So I said, well, let me fly over. I'll look at it. I'll look at the team. I'll meet the coach. I'll meet the, uh, the manager. And if I like it, because i got to move my family, yeah. then, then they, they'll pay, ask him to pay for my trip. And if, if I don't sign with him, I'll pay, I'll pay for my trip out of my own pocket. So that's what I did. I flew in for a weekend. I, I watched a couple games. Um uh, they kind of showed me where I would live and all that, and I came back and talked to my wife and said, "You know, what's what's your uh, 
what you're feeling. And she said, well, if you're okay to go, I'm, I'm okay to go. I'm, I'm, we're ready. So we ended up going to Europe for one, one season, and it was a pretty good, uh, was a fun experience for, for the whole family. And then the next season now, next season, you start the year in the notorious Quebec Senior League uh, in a city that you knew a little bit from your junior time. Uh, there are so many stories about this league. Uh, how did you find yourself playing for the Granby Blitz? Well, I, I found myself playing for them because I, that's my hometown. That, that, that's the, the town where I live. Mm-hmm. And every time I would work out before going to camp every year, you know, some of the players were there. Some of my friends were playing on that team. Dan Bainslet was a, a guy that I played in Chicago that we would skate together, mm-hmm. played junior against each other. And uh, they would always kind of throw in, you know, Dan, if you come and play for us, we'd give you this much, we'd give you that much, you know. Yeah. You wouldn't have to fight, just play. And I, I, w- I was not interested in playing that league whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> and that year, that year I ended up uh, taking classes at the University, University of Montreal mm-hmm. and want, really wanted to, to transition to, into uh, counseling with NHL players. And I needed to get some uh, classroom and work done and I'm sitting home and, and doing class and I'm still working out and skating and the owners the owners calling me every week and telling me I'm guilt I'll give you this much, I'll mm-hmm. give you that much, I'll give you this much. So that's how I ended up playing with him. <laughs> yeah, I ended up playing about five games and uh Well I have your stats here. Like I, it was a, I have your stats. Okay. You played ten games. I'm, I played ten games. Ten games in my mind I only played <laughs> Well, I'll tell you why five sticks out to you. You played ten games, you had eight points, you had five fights, so you didn't feel like fighting, but you fought every other game. And you played against the Laval Chiefs, and, and I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, documentary, uh, Le Chiefs. Uh, and yeah. that, oh, I never saw it. I heard about it, but yeah. I've never seen it. And I think that was, that was this season, because you ended up fighting Craig Mart- Martin and Mike Bajerni. Uh, did, yep. Was was that game in Laval, or did you play in Laval at all? Because that seems like a crazy environment. Yeah, no, I didn't play in Laval. I played. I played that. That game was in Granby, and I remember playing against Craig Martin uh, yeah. before in the American League, and he he wasn't anything out of like he was a hard guy to play against, but he wasn't intimidating. Like I think we had probably more. He was just a young guy, and I, I didn't think twice of him uh, yeah. in the American League. And now I see him. He's obviously grown. Like yeah. he's, he's a bigger guy. And yeah. He's, he's well fed now, and yeah. he, and he's he's skating around with a chip on his shoulder and looking around. I'm like, wow, this league is is something else. And I could feel the excitement in the building. And we had a lot of fighters on our our squad. And I'm I'm playing center. I'm all I'm fighting on my own terms. And and uh, sure enough, he he wants to go me. I'm I'm taking the face off, and he kicks his center off, and he wants to fight me. I'm like. Get back to the wing. <laughs> Stop being an idiot. You'll find me sooner or later. So, uh, I, that that wasn't my last game, but it was uh, it was a good, you know, it was a it was a, a game that was circling a lot of the fans' uh, calendars in, in Grandview. And then um, you left there, and you ended up uh, playing most of the remainder of the season and playoffs in Atlantic City. Uh, you played a couple of games in Rochester. I think they were affiliates, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, how'd you end up in Atlantic City? I, I I had quit this team here. Like I just focused on on school, and the Rangers were playing against the Montreal Canadiens, and I took my son to a morning skate 
and I was going to the game that night and uh, I stopped by to see a couple teammates, ex-teammates, uh, you know, Mike Richter and, and Lindros was now with the Rangers and uh, I run into Matt Lochran. We used to used to work with the Rangers mm-hmm. when I played there and uh, Matty was now GM of the of the uh, new franchise in, in Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's at the pregame skate and one thing's Lead, lead to another and we start having a conversation he goes well Dan are you interested in, in coaching I said well yeah I'm taking classes right now and I'm not sure I'm coaching I was coaching here locally too with, with uh, minor hockey and I'm like oh I am interested but he goes well one of our player assistant coaches you know it's not a good fit with our head coach and we've got a young team it's a new team in the league we have no affiliation would you be interested in coming to see it? I go, well, next week I'll actually be in Philly. My house, I still had a house in Philly. I said, well, I'll swing by and see you guys in Atlantic City and I'll, I'll, I'll stop by to meet the coach. And after uh, after I, I had lunch with uh, the GM and the coach, they asked me if I wanted to play that night. I didn't have my gear. I had skates in my car. I played that night, called my wife back after the game uh, saying I'd played a game uh, as a player assistant coach and and uh, I, I drove back home, asked my wife if she f- felt like moving again for a reminder of the season. And, and uh, we went to the Jersey Shore and, and had a really fun, fun time. Uh, you know, that was my debut in, in coaching, and it yeah. was a good, uh, a good setup for me. You remember the fight you had with another ex-teammate? Uh, you fought Denny Vial, uh, who was with Columbia at the time. You remember that oh, one? Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> I, I had fought uh, Denny a couple times at training camp with the Rangers, and uh, I do, I, I do like, I, you know, I certainly didn't go in the, in the East Coast Hockey League to, to fight, and I, I was right. just kind of looking forward to to start a new chapter and, and uh, having to to coach and, and kind of look at the game a different way and have conversations with teammates and much more a mentorship for younger players and and I took that job pretty seriously, and I, I really enjoyed it. And so, when I'd play games, and I'd see a guy like Denny Vial on the other side, who's still who's, who's still foaming at the mouth of the uh, prospect of fighting, I'm, I'm like, I didn't get it. Yeah. And I, you know, sometimes I obliged. I, I remember I, I did fight. I did fight him, and uh, he caught me. He caught me with a pretty good uppercut. I came underneath a couple of his punches, and then he timed himself and got me with a pretty good uppercut. I, I remember that. So um, we're almost done, Danny. Thank you for your time. Um, you end up in Moncton, and a couple of seasons into your time with Moncton, they hired Ted Nolan. And then a, yeah. f- a few seasons after that, Ted Nolan becomes, or the next season, I'm not sure, he becomes the head coach of the Islanders. So... Uh, was that Teddy bringing his assistants to the Islanders? Is that how you ended up being an assistant coach? Yeah, I, I, I did. You know, I, had, I was fortunate enough. Like I had enough probably a year before that. I did, but now I, you know, I just end up playing one more year in the American in the East Coast Hockey League, and I wanted to coach. And I was going to coaching clinics. I had attended Roger Nielsen's coaching clinic before as a player because uh, I, I, I had that in the back of my mind. Uh, I got a great opportunity to coach in Moncton. Um, I was assistant there for three years. The third year, I ended up taking over as the head coach to finish the season. And uh, the following season, we were hosting the Memorial Cup, and I was asked, you know, funny story, I was actually fired 
let go with one more year on my contract, being told that Teddy Nolan was coming in and he was taking uh, his own assistant. And when I asked our owner, I said, well, does he have, does he want two assistants? So he goes, well, I don't know. Let me talk to him. And uh, he set up a meeting for me and Teddy and I sat with him and he goes, well, you know the league better than I do and my assistant doesn't know the league at all. So he ended up keeping me on board. Uh, we had a really good, really good, really fun season. Uh, had a lot of future NHL players from Keith Yandel to Andrew McDonald to um, Luke Bourdon passed away. Uh, Brad Marchand was on that team. So we had a lot of a lot of good good talent and great characters. And uh, Corey Crawford was it? no, no, actually Corey Crawford had finished the year before, uh, but. We ended up having a real good season, and when Teddy got the job in, in, with the Islanders, I didn't know if he, if we'd be, you know, I, I knew he might might take one of us with him, but he ended up taking both. Uh, so that was just my my the start I needed in the NHL. And uh, in uh, 2009-10, you were elected to the Binghamton Hockey Hall of Fame. So. For someone who spent so much time in Binghamton, it seems like an obvious choice. And um, and uh, what kind of an honor was that for you? Well, it was fun. And the reason it was fun because my daughter was born in, in uh, New York, in Binghamton, and uh, and I still have a lot of friends there. And I, I spent I don't know four or five seasons, four or five years there. And uh, you know, you 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 run into people, you make friends in the community, and and the thing about American League hockey is that it, it's all community based, and, and the interaction you have with the fans, with the uh, the merchants, the, your neighbors, the people that are around you see every day. It's 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 a pretty tight community. They're not big cities, so so you know people, people know you, and and for me to have a chance to go back in, in a community where my daughter was born, uh, it was it was great. I was I went there with my my wife and my my daughter and uh, they did did it pretty well tom mitchell the uh, general manager did a real good job and uh, i was really appreciative uh and and one thing that we didn't touch on yet that i want to touch on because you're you are the renaissance man when did you start when did the interest in art and drawing sketching and photography start for you and are you still involved in that stuff no, I, I did some always growing up. I'm, I'm left-handed, right side of my brain. Was, things came in 3D pretty quick, and I always saw the light and, and the beauty around me. I always looked at different perspective, and um, I, I would do that for fun as a young kid, and it just came naturally. I would see things. I would see animals and people, and I could do caricatures and do my teachers, and, and I like to make people laugh with, with, with the drawings, so... So that's all it's been. I, I did. I, I touch. I studied art and photography in, in uh, college, community college, when I played junior hockey, and I learned a few different uh, mediums. Uh, photography was something. I'm not a patient guy, so uh, photography for me was a medium that was a lot quicker. That you see the light, you take a picture, and you you try to to uh, to see the, the the beauty around you in a different way and show a different light. And there's a good they, you know they used to be they, now it's a different it's it's more on the computer but the way we develop film and, and use different uh, ISOs and, and, and different exposure when you did develop your film was was a lot of fun technically to learn that and then to go out there and, and uh, 
prepare an exhibit and which I had a chance to do a few, a few of them with, uh, while in college. So it was always fun. I don't do a lot now. I, I do my Christmas cards every year that I've done since I was 20 years old. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's basically the extent of my art right now. And, and <laughs> I know there was one season you did the Flyers Christmas card, correct? Yeah, well, they had, they had asked for the Christmas card, so I had done a little watercolor and they used it on a, on a program. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. Like I I don't I don't do a lot uh, besides the Christmas cards, but the family's always looking forward to. So Dan, my last question for everyone, I asked you the same first question I ask everyone about who were you as a kid, and the last question I ask everyone is, uh, as we went through your career, I feel like I asked you a lot of questions. Is there anything that I didn't ask? Anything I forgot? No, Joe, I can't. I, you know what? I, I've been told. Uh, I was, I was uh, when I played junior. I, I had, a, I remember in my mind as a 17, 18 year old kid. I, I remember saying to myself, and I think even in an inter- interview that I would give hockey a shot for three, four years. But I had a lot of other things I wanted to do in life, and uh, and hockey's been so good to me. Uh, one of the coach, one coach that I had in, in midget hockey, told. Remember him telling the whole dressing room, "If you're good to hockey, hockey's going to be good to you." And uh, those are words I live by. And and uh, hockey's been really good to me. Well, for everyone out there, uh, Danny's son Cedric, he uh, plays pro right now. He played a uh, little bit with Bridgeport last year. Uh, right now, he's a free agent. So make sure you follow his career. Uh, and Danny, I can't wait till you're back coaching in the NHL. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for the time. I really, really appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot, Joe. All right. See you then. Take care. All right. Bye now. Thanks again to Danny Lacroix for joining me. A couple hours worth of uh, some pretty terrific hockey stories. Dan's very busy right about now. He's uh, doing some stuff on uh, on his house. And uh, we tried to find the time to, to squeeze in the interview. But uh, I really appreciate him doing so. And, um, you know, I expect big things out of Danny coaching in the Quebec League and hopefully one day he finds his way back to coaching in the NHL um, because obviously that's where you want to be. And uh, selfishly, then I get to see him when he comes to town to play the Islanders. Going forward, uh, there is a chance. And one of the frustrating things about doing this show is trying to line up guests. So I don't have a producer. I don't have uh, anyone helping me here, which is probably the way I would want it anyway. I like to be hands-on when it comes to this. Um, But, you know, when you're dealing with grown men who have families and hope some work and everything, and uh, I have family obligations, unfortunately, uh, I am not working at the moment. Uh, Hopefully that's rectified in the next couple of months. Um, when you have all that mixed together, sometimes you can't line up times and sometimes you can line up times, but then shit happens. But, uh, as I am recording this now, which is uh, Tuesday, the second, I believe there is a chance by the end of this week, I will have two episodes either recorded or one recorded and one that could be recorded early next week. And if that's the case, uh, two interviews in the can sounds like an embarrassment of riches, so let's hope for that, and um, and then I'll have my choice which one I can release next week. I know which one I'm going to release, but I don't want to say it in case it falls through, which has happened a few times already, and uh, I try to let it roll off my back. But 
um, and I don't mean the interview with this person has fallen through a few times. Uh, I mean, in general, these interviews fall through. But um, I try to think positive. I do this for fun. It's not going to drive me crazy. I'm not pulling the hair out of my chin for anybody. But uh, fingers crossed, at the end of this week, early next week, I have two in the chamber ready to go. So um, other than that, everybody, listen, uh, all jokes aside, it's a pretty fucked up time right now in the world. And uh, everyone thinks they're right. Nobody thinks they're wrong. But the only thing I can say is just watch yourself, watch your family. Please be safe, okay? Take care.